0: OTB Sports Rugby What do you make of the Scott Robertson rumours uh, to replace Lancaster at Leinster?
1: That's new that's new to me um, I hear it and I like it
2: Subscribe to the Rugby stream on the OTB Sports app now
3: OTB
1: AM With Gillette Get into
2: your flow With the new Gillette Labs Razor With Exfoliating Bar all right, it's half past seven. It is uh, Monday morning. If you want to get involved, we'd love to hear from you. What kind of a weekend was it for you? Uh, 87 180, 180 that's the WhatsApp number. Or, of course, you can leave a comment on the YouTube stream. And uh, the best place to get us for the Gillette Labs performance rankings is in the comment box on our Instagram stories. Are we going to talk or are we just going to get straight into it? What do you think? You want to talk? You want to talk?
4: You can talk. You want to do a little that's highlights the- and then go straight into it if you like. There's so much to do in this performance rankings. But uh, oh, we can chat away there before we go into it. One of those busy
2: mornings Paddy Clifford's back heel didn't make it
4: <laughs> It was an honourable mention It was actually his brother it was the honourable mention first of all for his stellar year uh, that we wanted to highlight him but then the back heel uh, is actually there for our viewing pleasure Oh right. yeah oh, Look at this there for people who can't see, little, build so not play here Explain the score Scores uh, 17 to 70 points to 1-6 uh, Clifford gets the ball here he's turned away Oh Vicky. my god that absolute the flick by and then he acts as if well no big deal. This happens every day of the week. It was his only option. Uh, not to yeah, take no, away from the back. Saying, that's what you were saying. That's we were saying before. Right? What? Yeah, Mark, it was his only option. Well, it was the only option for a player of that creativity. Well, it was either. It was Mark in the Mark back. Baston's only option was to
2: do what he did to look. score
4: the goal. No, no he Backs the goal. What's he going to do here? Come back? Well, he oh, couldn't. That's beautiful. Yeah, I feel oh, it. Like he, he couldn't pick the ball up. And well, a million,
2: a million out of a million players picked that ball up stupidly and are like, yeah, oh, yeah, I know. That's what I mean. Like,
4: it's, it's, it was intelligent play. Oh my god! But that's the beauty of Gaelic football. You can play another sport within the sport. It's totally fine. True. It's great. Like. I think you need to have a soccer brain in order to pull that off in Gaelic as well.
2: It is, it is a truism of Gaelic football life that anybody who saves a penalty in these three or four weeks, oh, you wouldn't see the life in the World Cup. And Conor Glass, when he was asked on TG Carr about the, uh, the through ball for the goal that eventually seals the deal, he's like, oh, you, you, did he say you wouldn't see the life in the World Cup or are we even watching too much World Cup? Because that's what Potty Clifford goes, on, I've been watching too much World Cup when he was asked about... Um, oh, yeah.
5: the same old interviews. Yeah, that's fair. It, but I mean, and the GA of course clashing with the World Cup at the weekend. But I think the GA club came out smelling the roses as well. And it was a very, very, very good World Cup weekend. But we're still talking with the GA first, so it's
2: you. It's uh, fine. You had a good weekend too, Shane. By the sounds of I, it, I. You know what? Uh,
5: hey, yeah, I'm going to blame. Uh, you're
2: going. You're going full on
5: hand on this morning, are you? I'm going to. I'm going to blame Harry Kane's penalty miss because my, my. Obviously not because I wasn't celebrating the moment. I was just reacting to a great World Cup moment. Uh, intensity so my voice um, not being gone is probably down to
2: the, the Spurs and England striker so he's to blame Here's what's coming up between now and 10 o'clock this morning you can read into that what you want I'm not I'm not going to interpret it for you uh, Performance rankings going to do them straight away Daniel Harris going to give us a view from England at five past eight we've got sports pages busy day for them Alan Quinan is going to join us Disappointment for Munster and Ulster Leinster were pretty good Connacht B team were excellent Kevin Komsky is in Qatar he's going to give us his experience so far and then we play out with some Philippe Eau Claire goodness at uh, half past nine this morning. But your comments are going to make it, I think. Already, um, Collett says he was in the Three Arena, and it, uh, the place sounded like there was hundred thousand people there when the England result came through. Yeah, it was in. Um, I was in a pub in Monaghan
5: town as well, and perhaps unsurprisingly, uh, packed. And yeah, the biggest cheer of the night was definitely when the when the second penalty was missed. Uh, random people hugging each other. Beers not quite flying in the air like box. I, box, I, believe, I definitely
2: but wanted to see what happens in extra time. Did you not want Yeah, see, there, there was
5: like, that. There was that element too. Of course, I wouldn't be disappointed if it, if it if it had been scored and we got an extra thirty
2: minutes of that because I was enjoying yeah, it. Yeah, um, high end, good stuff. Anyway, seven thirty four. OTBAM. Get us on YouTube. Uh, tweet us with the hashtag OTBAM. Time for the Gillette Labs performance rankings. You know, that wasn't an All-Ireland winning performance. Probably should have won the game based on the second half performance. Is it a step too hard to say it was the performance so far of the World Cup? Maybe not.
6: OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette. I'm, I'm scratching
2: my
5: head Our performances have just
2: lack that intensity. Boom. Where are we going?
5: We will start in the red. Um, and Ronaldo and Neymar being uh, finished, I think is the correct term. Dead end for superstars. Uh, we might as well start with Neymar. Uh, since that uh, that game was on first wasn't it the, the, the whole weekend seems like a blur because of the, the order of the matches but uh, Neymar not having the, uh, I guess the leadership to step up and take his penalty first um, he already had scored a penalty in this World Cup he is the Brazil penalty taker he's taken more career penalties combined than the rest of the entire Brazil squad and yet when it comes to a shootout he doesn't do a Messi Messi stands up first and takes penalty for Argentina uh, he does what you see some other superstars doing as well. Ronaldo and Salah are guilty of this as well, lads. You know, lining themselves up for the fifth penalty, wanting the headlines, steal the moment. They know that's the penalty that's going to stick in people's heads the most, historically speaking, if it is the winning penalty. But the odds of it being the winning penalty, I think Neymar potentially owes an apology to Rodrigo and to Marquinhos, the two players who missed for Brazil in that shootout against Croatia. Um, put them in an awkward position. He, no,
2: he no, is. They've got a score. They've got a score. They're well, Brazil. They've got a score. They can't be, like, I think, oh, I, uh, I mean, I do think his goal was absolutely sensational. Brilliant. Brilliant. Um, I think it was Owen Kauser tweeted, that's the, the problem with Neymar is that 99 times out of 100 he goes down in that scenario and looks for the penalty, but he can do that. <laughs> I I, like, uh, I thought it, I thought it was his legacy World Cup moment. This is it. This is the bit. And it should have been, like, it, the, the, this game should never have gone to penalties. Should have, would have, could have. At all, yes. But this was a Brazil team who had had the game won, had done everything they need to do against a very dangerous, tricky opponent, and for whatever reason, they're like, "Oh, let's just play it around like it's a training game with three and a half le- minutes left to go." Uh, it was idiotic. That bit was idiotic. Penalties. I know. Like. Ah, oh, come on. Someone's got to take the fifth. You want your best... No, you uh, want your best to take first. You're the at leader the end, on the team. You have to end, take but, first. But it's actually not that hard. They've been practising for years. They know what the story is. Yeah, but he, Neymar is, Neymar is like the best... Like high-end
5: World Cup footballers. He's the best penalty taker on that team. By by Probably by far. In yeah, terms of I mean, experience taking penalties as well. Certainly in, in, in experience terms, like... You have to go first, second or third if you're the best penalty taker. Because that means you're guaranteed a kick. I mean, to go fourth or fifth, fifth especially, is... To go fifth, in particular, we don't know what order uh, Neymar might have been, but like I mean, it, that was that was ego driven, one hundred percent. When you see Ronaldo doing it, when you see Salah doing it, it's always ego driven.
2: It's also the most pressurized kick. You know, at the end of it, you're like, lads, these, these are the, there's no pressure on you. I'm gonna I'm gonna take all the pressure. I I like look someone has to take the fifth penalty first penalty you, sets the tone that, that's got, the pressure kick you've got David O'Leary standing over you're like oh no how did this happen it's hardly, it's hardly the pressure kick if you don't get to the fifth penalty you don't even have to take it well, you're like oh I can bow out here because you expect the rest of the chums not to miss you can't I to. do think I do think that the goal is going to get lost in the annals of this World Cup and that's one of the reasons why this is now turning into I mean uh, it was it was predicted last week in that very seat column that this has been a great World Cup, one of the best since we've been alive, mm-hmm. it has now catapulted itself into the realms of all-time great World Cups.
4: Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, Those four quarterfinals were absolutely... It's incredible. Like, I mean, like the Brazil-Croatia at this point was just an appetizer and I thought, oh, this will be the moment of the weekend. <laughs> Neymar's all-time goal that was going to Finally, catapult him into the true greats of the game for all the talent that he has. There's always a bit of a feeling that he's a bit of a waster, like that he could have done so much more with himself, even though he's by rights, you know, in the point zero 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 one percent top successful footballers of all time. There's still a feeling that oh, you could be so much more. And he did it against Croatia. And it was like, oh yeah, they're going to fall apart here, the Croatians. They're not the team they were four years ago when they reached the final. And then just this incredible side, like with the psyche of mentality monsters that Jurgen Klopp talks about all the time, is that they just do not go away. And, like, in the build-up to their equaliser, you know, Emma mentioned it in our pre-show meeting, just Modric's turn and through ball and was like, well, they have that little bit of sprinkle mm-hmm. of quality, but really what they have is resolve. And then as they approached the box for the equaliser, it was like, oh, they have a chance here. Just swing that boot at it and that deflection of Markinass. And then uh, Alisson was just, you know, his face, just the, the crushing blow of his face. He realises, I'm not going to get to this. And then when I got the penalties, I'm, like, genuinely I'm thinking, oh, like Croatia, they, they could win this. And do you know why? Because Rodrigo went first for Brazil and I was like, he this guy doesn't want to be there. He has he, to take a first, Neymar, doesn't he? He does not want to be there, this no, guy. No. He's going to miss this penalty. It's he does looking. not want to... So, Neymar's his hero, right? Rodrigo looks up to Neymar. Look, And like, from a distance, they were exact same footwear as well. And they have the same running style as Solas, like They're so, so similar looking mm. when he came on. And then uh, when he runs up, takes the penalty, he this massive run-up. And I was like, he, he's going to put this, he's going to put it right. He's going to, like, all his body language is going to the right and the keeper knows this and he doesn't want to be there whatever the opposite of leadership
5: is that's what Neymar uh, that's what Neymar showed in that penalty shootout like you have to put your hand up in the group before you take a, before the penalty shootout starts and say I'm up first
2: you don't you don't ask you don't, you don't suggest you I demand I must have talked about it beforehand somebody somewhere like whatever about the penalties right like the game was there for them they were the better side clearly yeah. And they they couldn't get it done, and it's a it's a, a very like there was a, a a long period when we were kids growing up from the, the essentially the eighty six World Cup, the eighty two World Cup. You're like, okay, that's a bit strange. That they got beaten like that. I, I don't remember that, but the eighty six World Cup, they go out in penalties, and then from that point forward until they win the penalty shootout in the cup final in the World Cup final in ninety four, there's this kind of sense of there's a flakiness within Brazilian football, mm. and then the rest of the teams come along after that, and, and the dam bursts and they they harvest World Cups for a while but there, there seems to be a flakiness in them but well, there
4: was the feeling when they went one up that they had won it they, they were playing like they had won it um, they their intensely dropped significantly and I thought I think they thought well Croatia don't have much going forward like so as long as we control possession we're fine here but they were playing like there were two or three up and it was one Yeah. and uh, Croatia saw that and they went one last chance and they got it but look for Neymar not taking the penalty uh it's good that that happened because then we saw Marconos' penalty with the drama of that is one of the all-time great World Cup moments, the clang of the post, mm-hmm. the split second delay in his reaction where he's like, oh, my God, I just missed. And the falling to the knees like that is the World Cup montage sewn up when it's all said and done. That's going to be played to some dramatic opera music because that was beautiful. It was like because it was, you know, I would say again, a well-struck penalty, low and hard. No. Nope smacks the post and, the, and it comes through so awesome. well yes. on the mics there's, there's, nothing so, well so well. there's nothing well struck about a penalty it comes the through so well on the microphones if, if, oh, anything, yeah, if yes.
2: anything he struck it too well Shane. crushing Jesus, disappointment
4: yeah. the crushing disappointment
2: are there any awards the for hitting the ball well yeah, and yeah, it 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 the post a a special prize. Uh, yeah, prize he did
4: everything he did everything
5: right no, he did nothing right so what about Ronaldo uh, Ronaldo sorry can I just point out Kevin Sheedy took the first penalty for Ireland in the Romanian penalty he can strike a ball well he stood up As a leader, no one remembers that penalty, but he knew that he could score it. Everyone talks about Dave Leary going fifth grand, but Kevin Sheedy had the cojones to step up and say, I can hit penalties well, I'm going first. Do we have learn? respect
4: for people Who go first And the other Four plus penalty takers For you were chumps uh, I think I, that's I, leadership there I, Stepping up first
5: I think this is all a bit of a red herring To be honest Fair but uh, Yeah it's, it's not the point But look Neymar said he was psychologically Destroyed after the game I think he was psychologically Destroyed before the show Had even started But he just He just had his World Cup moment Yeah That was his Maradona moment He should have been in good form then Ready to take the penalty But anyway You want to move on to Ronaldo I think we should Ronaldo Another man uh, Who makes it all about himself Walking down the tunnel in tears as the rest of his Portugal teammates uh, congratulated their their opponents on a good victory walked around the stadium thanking the Portuguese fans for being there uh, while Ronaldo um, look I'm not going to blame him for the tears because it's probably his last it is his last World Cup let's be honest he'll be 41 by the time the next one rolls around Uh, but you'd never rule him out but I mean he made it all about himself Uh, he came off the bench had no impact on the game had one I suppose reasonably good chance a bono saved for Morocco. Like, and to be fair, Gonzalo Ramos, who scored the hat trick during the week, was fairly irrelevant against Morocco as well. Portugal generally just weren't good. Um, and Ronaldo again. I know we shouldn't probably be talking about Ronaldo, but I guess uh, I think the Ronaldo Messi argument is now finished. We've 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 all agreed, haven't we? That that there's no point even talking about it anymore because uh, Messi's shown a number of times leadership steps up. Um, now, Messi's not perfect in, off the pitch in terms of his Saudi tourism stuff and the Qatari money, but uh, in terms of on pitch at this World Cup, there's been a gulf there. And uh, I think Ronaldo just made it all about himself. He came out with this big statement on Instagram after the match and pointing out that I never, you know, all these rumours about him falling out with Fernando Santos and you know stepping away from the team and being angry at not getting playing. He denied all that, but um, it's hard to deny that when he came off the bench, he had no impact. And then uh, the tears at the end were. Or
4: I guess the iconic image of this World Cup for Ronaldo fans. Um Yeah, I think it's uh, it's very necessary to talk about him this morning because in theory, lads, this is the last time we'll ever really see him on a prominent stage ever. This yeah. could be it for him. You know, he could play his club football in a in a lower quality league and he'll rack up the goals and we'll hear about And I'm sure the goals will be seen online and he'll probably score a screamer here or there. And then I think we'll be reflecting on in a few years' time, it's like, God almighty his demise was so rapid in that last year because in his last full season of top level football he scored 24 goals in all competitions for Manchester United and was at at times the shining light in a very poor season and then the next season onwards he he scored that goal he scored against Ghana that penalty was his fourth goal uh, in all competitions and teams this season the other goals like two against Sheriff in the Europa League and one against Everton which was a good goal at Goodison Park and that was his last for United and then he scores that one penalty against Ghana and then he leaves the World Cup if he doesn't play again having never scored in the knockout stages. But yet, he's the first man to score in five World Cups, so he still has that legacy. He'll be happy with that.
2: Ah, look, his, uh, his, his, his legacy uh, is going to be an incredible footballer. Course, but the not way not, not a great human being that everybody can aspire mm. to. to you know, that's, so many of our great footballers are...
4: Uh, but are, there's a real possibility that this is, uh, this is it. That we're never really going to see Ronaldo again properly. Mm.
2: That's you all know, right. That
4: could be it. He's, he's had a good innings. Of course he has, but the time since to he's get up to since um, someone 2003. Else's, someone else's go. Yeah, he's part of people's um, upbringing, you know? He's a huge part of it, and that's it. That's probably going to be the way it ends with him um, crying down the tunnel and being escorted away. As someone tweeted, like, um, when I was young in Asda, I lost my mum. The shame <laughs> of it, being escorted away. And that's you, how Ronaldo um, finish the game. The
5: 4K camera following or following down the tunnel uh, was a bit insidious, but I mean, still. You, you feel emotional.
4: Well, yeah, I think um, because it is the end of an era. like I've just realised that this is actually, this is a moment for you.
2: Yeah, because like this happens, people move on, you know.
4: No, I know. I I understand how time works, but I'm just saying it's, um, you know, it is the end really. Like that's the last we're going to see of him. And I look for, it's been a long time now since I loved him because that was really in the noughties. As Shane has already alluded to himself. We all know Shane's been on Ronaldo at this stage. He's sick to death of him. But Shane still appreciates the 03 09 era of Ronaldo. But I think he's just you know, one of the greatest players of all time. He's going to kind of uh, fade out now. As, as but as ra- rather does. than the Zidane or Cantona go out with a bang, he's just going to fade away because he's going to want to score as many goals as humanly possible before mm. he stops having the ability to kick a football. So that could go on to his early 40s. We may not see unless, unless someone sees fit. To redeem this guy's career to top level. Someone um, could do that.
2: I could see him playing a couple of seasons in the Championship with somebody trying to, because there'll be goals and there'll be money and there'll be English. In uh, the attention. English Championship? Like,
5: adjure, <laughs> like, come on.
2: Well, uh, so, I was listening to Rob McElhenney the other day, right, doing uh, an interview about. He can join and bring him from the National uh, League North. Seasons, seasons three and four have not yet been renewed. What would happen? But like, it's just some some kind of revenue share. The, the money is insane. Now, I mean, is that a
5: serious suggestion or. I don't know, You're just testing if me and Colin are awake on this Monday morning so far. Colin's not,
2: so you keep going there, go on. <laughs> so, uh, Ronaldo's in the red. Ronaldo's in the red, will we move on from the red? I do think that, like, um, if Pepe just hits the target, like, Portugal had many, 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 many chances. They did. They should have, like,. They Fair play to Morocco, but, like, yeah. I think. Uh, Portugal will be sickened that this is the chance for them to win the World Cup. What are they doing? What are you doing?
5: Yeah, it was a, it was an open goal. Like, it was there for the take and we saw the performance in the last 16 game and you're thinking this Portugal team are, are brilliant. Just batting away a Swiss team that, that everyone knows is a good knockout team. But, I don't know. I, I, I think the right one was on the, on the wall as soon as Ronaldo was coming on. He looked very focused coming off the bench. And, he, and look.
2: Some it won- goal, it was some, it was some goal. It was like supreme athleticism from Morocco like it was Jordan-esque getting up there and still being able to yeah it was game management from then but But um, Portuguese goalkeeper also no good
5: no good yeah look they had a number of fellas who didn't step up uh, at the weekend but I mean you can't take it away from Morocco but I mean the Ronaldo tears is what we'll all that's what makes the back pages that sort of stuff but Ronaldo knows that he knows that there's a little he'll still be in the headlines I don't think uh, I I don't think he'll ever play in England again uh, I don't think any club in England would have him. I mean you're not you're not seriously suggesting he'd be lining out for Blackburn Rovers next
2: year, Jaron in, in the championship. Are you? I do think that he could continue to play to the 40, 42, right? Yeah. Like and there's a level that you're like, well, I play in the MLS? Yeah, I probably will play in the MLS. But like there's also enough money in some of those places there's a there's a good chance that some rich American owner looks at what Wrexham are doing and thinks, well I'll just like skip six years and the T V part of it. Mm. and buy a team in the championship and then Ronaldo could easily end up playing in the championship. That's no. like... His ego, his ego is far too big for that. But if you're, if, if you're in front of a crowd of 35,000 week in, week out because you've, you've signed Ronaldo when he's 41 and he's scoring 37 goals and you're getting promoted. But his ego would only allow him to play at the and top, you're top him, teams. you're giving him 200 grand a week. His ego, his ego's broken now. Where is he going? He's going to Saudi Arabia. Yeah, but
5: that, that that's that, that's for the money. I mean, he's like, yeah, right, it's either ego, it's either footballing ego or money. And all right, okay. The Saudi money is just look. Well, already like like like
4: have Rory on to hear about the Blackburn shout That's why I paid. That's yeah, why I, I knew Blackburn. you played that for Rory. Yeah, 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 he's not happy with that <laughs> at all. Um, look, he could he could very well he could very well be back in European football again. a Few years time, someone's going to take a chance at him. Someone will need some goals. Probably a, like a Sam Allardyce style no. January emergency signing. He could well be back, but I don't think he will be. I think that's it. And I think uh, this is the bookmark in Cristiano Ronaldo's career it was the Nadir against Morocco where he wasn't really effective when he came on. Mm. Was he beat he, he five passes, three of them were intercepted. That was his uh, impact from 51 minutes onwards. Pretty poor. That's it. Yeah. But look, Ronaldo
5: finished at international level. Well, look, he could come back and win the Euros in a couple of years' time in Germany. Not saying it's going to happen, but uh, you never know it, Ronaldo. Uh, and then Neymar, um, the coward that is that wouldn't take the first penalty. So that's uh, in the red. We'll move on to the next one. Ulster and Munster. Um, slightly in the red, although we might start with Munster because... Although they lost to lose, you'd have to say there are bright shoots there. Um, now, for anyone who watched the game, you probably would have done well to have seen the game, because the fog, I mean, there was great images of uh, Keith Wood alongside Tommy Rooney on reports for Off the Ball at the weekend, and uh, I was watching the video of Keith afterwards, and to say he was wrapped up well would be an understatement. I mean, the scarf, the hat, it was absolutely Baltic looking down there on, uh, on the weekend. Um, Antoine Dupont inspiring to lose to the win, you'd have to say um so the second half the fog starts getting heavier, the play starts getting a bit scrappier, but I mean, Munster Joey Carberry was brilliant. This is the Carberry we want to see starting in the Six Nations lads isn't it? this is the I, I don't know where you all stand on that particular point, but there was only five points separating these two teams later on um and you kind of were thinking Munster going to push on here, potentially find a winner uh couldn't quite do it but You'd have to look at the, the game now this Friday. So they're visiting Northampton Saints. It's probably the perfect team to play. Like, hammered at La Rochelle at the weekend, Northampton. So you're thinking, if Munster can get this back on track and try and get out of this group, then they're going to have to get a win this Friday night. So it's it's kind of come at them fast. If you lose your opening pool game in the, in the Heineken Champions Cup, uh, it's fairly difficult for you to push on from there. Um, but I think if you're a Munster fan this morning, you're fairly encouraged. Because even before this game three game winning streak that includes the South Africa game of course against the South Africa Select um, but there were plenty and plenty of positives and Graham Roundtree would be fairly pleased uh, starting strongly they were aggressive they had intensity in, uh, in the ruck as well I don't know uh,
2: regardless of the, of the, the five point defeat lads I think if you're a Munster fan this morning you're thinking ah, oh, that was alright More fog than in the movie The Fog says Mark C in the YouTube comments. In fairness it was pretty foggy. It was absolutely it was insane at one point. <laughs> Craig Doyle at the end was like, "Ah, oh, I hope you enjoy that second half. I didn't see much of it. Well. <laughs> when the when the T V broadcaster was telling you that wait not not enjoy that much did something mm. happened I couldn't I couldn't see. It was uh, tricky I don't know if Munster I don't like you can't be happy you you gotta be happy that some progress is being made but like it's a long slow road to get to where they want to get to if now all of a sudden it's okay to be beaten at home.
4: You know I mean? In the context of, yeah. where, context of where they are, so yeah. that yeah. Like, three okay. defeat or three wins before that, yeah. South Africa. Canada, context of uh, where they are, the Edinburgh not so you? bad, but then to lose to the multiple-time champions, top of, top fourteen, you know, it's not, okay. <laughs> All right, this is a reasonable.
2: But even even under Johan van Grand they managed to draw the game last year and, and take it to penalties. Where Johan van Grand so yeah, that's where they are. But like, last year they did better when they had a, an inferior coach.
4: Considering the start, yeah, but under round three they've been like so inconsistent to start with had that mini-decent run. So I think it wasn't like there was a Mutiny Atonement. I think they they put the conditions of the mind and the opposition into the factor that, all right, this is probably where they are at the moment. Five point defeat, one score. You have to remember, 22. First game. You're happy. Not happy. I'm saying it's it's, uh, a reasonable... Uh, reasonably acceptable defeat would I would mean you- we live in this age now where every time your team loses that it's an absolute outrage and like just straight into the radar ah, of the performance rankings just like this
2: spare me the old man well you have to assess performance as well Ger for sure yeah. I mean- and I thought I thought in the first <laughs> half I thought in the first half <laughs> they were creating chances the, and there was a period in that first 20 minutes where they were dominant and they got one try and uh Toulouse got one opportunity and they, they scored. Yeah. Look, Toulouse are an excellent side, right? But Munster don't have that killer dog just yet, and we need to see more of that. And I, I just, it's great that the the patterns of play are emerging. Mm. But when when does the killer instinct emerge? When do we start seeing them okay. benefiting from good play? Yeah, um, um, maybe it's not this year at all. I don't know. Maybe and maybe that's what the expect, uh, expectation is. And they almost feel like they're going through the rebuilding phase still, and that,
5: that, you, you need to give them some credit for that. I mean, if they're not going to be the end product straight away. I felt like a couple of years ago when Toulouse beat Munster, behind closed doors during the COVID year, I was thinking, Oh, before the game of the weekend, I was thinking, well, the fans are there now. There's 22,000-odd fans turning up in Thoman Park during the fog and the cold. I thought, that's going to maybe push them over the line here. The concern is that they couldn't towards the end. When they get within five points and you're thinking, can they push on here? I know Carberry missed the kick in the first half, for example. It would have been tighter than, than it uh, was in the end. But I don't know. There there were definite positives to take. You, you have to look at the positives. The concerning thing for me, I said the fact that they have three three games left, Northampton Saints on Friday. They have to lose away in January. Mm-hmm. That's that's the That's the worry for me. Tricky. That's a pretty tricky game.
4: So, ah, yeah. Gone today so, the days Munster losing homer. It's absolutely seismic news, and it leads the news agenda. That's probably the yeah. biggest reason that it's it's sad demise. But still, in the context of where they are, it's not so bad. But your beloved Ulster, ah, here they got a hammering. Sorry, but I mean, I don't know. I don't know if anyone expected that result.
5: <laughs> Thirty nine points, considering the new. season that they've had. Yeah, yeah. I, I was uh, fairly shocked. Now, if you look at the the men they didn't have involved, Ian Henderson, John Cooney, Rob Ballacoon, um Not to mind the travel chaos that they had as well. So the the flights cancelled. They were at the airport the day before. um, And sitting at the airport, flights postponed, pushed back a number of times. They eventually gave up, came back the next day. They were only on the plane six hours before the game kicked off in sale, which uh, isn't the ideal preparation for Ulster. Look, they're a well-conditioned professional outfit, so blaming the travel chaos for the result would be a bit stupid. But... It's still not, a, not an ideal preparation when you're getting an aeroplane six hours before you, you play a Heineken
2: Champions Cup game. Still embarrassing. I, I don't, yeah. you know, um, fair enough, right? You, you, Put the excuses out there. Sorry, I've got them out of the way. Yeah, a really embarrassing performance. Most are like uh, cataclysmic in terms of where they thought they were versus last season when, you know, they were incredibly unlucky and they were very, very exciting. And even when, uh, you know, it was, was it 27 uh, nil with like 15 minutes left to go, basically. It was like 13 minutes left to go. And instead of them being the ones who scored a couple of tries to, you know, uh, take some of the bad luck off or show that actually we've showed up here today, you know, work their way in, get past that, they completely fell apart. Yeah. Like, and to put this into context as to how
5: rarely this happens for Ulster, nilled for the first time ever in European competition. And it's the first time... They've been held without a single point in any competition in fourteen years.
2: Really, really embarrassing. Like, really, really fundamentally embarrassing for Ulster. And because we, we we thought that they had made so much progress. Like, it looks like they have strength and depth, notwithstanding the fact that they're missing those players. Like, you know, the players who were replacing those players are all very good players. Yeah, but the yeah a hundred percent. But the concern for me was that they
5: couldn't even they couldn't even have a, a, anything resembling a spell of possession. Like they couldn't, they literally couldn't keep the ball. Never, like the, the defense was clearly porous. Uh, and any time Sale got the ball, you, th- you thought this is going to be a try. But they, the really worrying for Ulster thing for Ulster would possibly be that this could have been worse. Like it was thirty-nine points to nil, and I'm sitting here on the Monday morning going, that could have been worse for Ulster. Um, they just had nothing to offer, absolutely nothing to offer. I'm not saying there's going to be any pressure whatsoever necessarily on Dan McFarlane this is look, the first game of the Champions Cup there's still time to recover um, but you look at the games So Ulster have La Rochelle in Belfast next Saturday big game I mean all of a sudden it takes on cataclysmic proportions that match all of a sudden you're looking at that game going well if Ulster were to lose again and to lose not quite as embarrassingly but they're at home so even to lose by 10-12 you know, points to La Rochelle next weekend all of a sudden the pressure coming on the management is fierce I chose how quickly rugby can come at you because you mentioned it. Colum, like, they've been good this season. I haven't uh, any Ulster fan will have enjoyed watching them playing so far. But uh, the game on the game of the weekend was just um, very, very, very concerning.
2: All right, so I don't know where they go. That's it. They're in the red. Well, let's it, let's keep going. They deserve it. So we'll, we'll bring the amber in. Uh, I've got Queenie coming up a little bit later on. So if you're watching this on YouTube, go and uh, see what Queenie has to say, uh, or subscribe to the OTB Rugby feed wherever you get your podcasts. England
5: in the amber. Uh, and the way column, you pitched this to me last night was bottlers
2: or valiant what is wrong with you <laughs> this is the question how are they in the amber well, where do you think the? Uh, is how it? are they in the amber what, 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 what bit of this is like oh you're in the amber oh well done they played oh. well um, Sunday night how did, how did Denmark do Sunday against Sunday night whatsapp
4: did, uh, reconstruction Gerard I was thinking there uh, we should put England in the amber because like it's actually up for debate careful now was that own. a disgrace or was it, uh was it valiant and you were like
2: oh that's a great idea <laughs> yeah because it allows us to talk about how nonsensical so the, you the, think the, 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 He just want to throw shots you go out in the World Cup quarterfinal when you've got the chance to win the game it's a it's a sporting disaster, right? Like we we can all yeah. accept it. It's not really a disaster, but it's a yeah. disaster from an English football perspective because it's a World Cup that's right there for the winning. You just listed off all the players that Ulster are missing. Yeah, the players that France are missing include the Ballon d'Or winner, the best centre midfielder that Europe has had over the last ten years, Paul Pogba, who they managed to turn into somebody, and a bunch of other players, including their first choice left back. The second choice left back seems turns out pretty good, you know. Yeah, like with all due respect when you have them on the rack you have to win otherwise there's something wrong this is your golden generation in four years time they'll still be really young it'll be great you haven't a clue what's going to happen in four years time you don't know that every Blair is going to go in a straight line and continue to be successful the- four years ago everybody would have said in four years time Jack Grealish is going to be great he'll be at the peak of his powers can't get in the team can't get in the team like the notion of this is like, oh England are building towards something, it's we're we're right there. No, you had the moment, you had the World Cup champions on the rack and you could do nothing with it. Mm. You could do you didn't know what to do. You were like, Oh, we're creating chances here or we're having pot shots from distance. Like it's just and the the fallout has been we were the best team in the tournament. I'm watching the French go and they've given um who was it? They give Declan Rice the Thibaut Courtois Award on uh, French social media because it's like, oh, apart from the goals, we were the better team. It's like, yeah, hilarious. The French are laughing. They are laughing because they know at the end the only thing that matters is what the score on the scoreboard says. The only, right, sorry.
5: The notion that England are in How
2: the did Am- Denmark do against France? Great for 15 minutes. They were brilliant. And how did, how did Denmark's World Cup go? Oh, shite. That's what it is. And the Danes are sitting around going, well, we were brilliant for 15 minutes against the French... Can I remind
4: you that this is the Gillette Lab performance rankings, not results rankings. Okay. Fair point, fair point. They played, I thought, quite well. The game really could have gone either way. It pains me. I would love to say, oh, they bottled it and France were way better than them. But like we could have the exact same conversation about France if England had taken their chances versus France chances which weren't much better it was an extremely even game I thought France depleted. I thought France were much better in the first half I thought England were sensational in the second half I they played really really well Very good uh, And now when Harry Kane stood up for this penalty we've all discussed this pre-show and I've had it all over a weekend where were you for the Harry Kane penalty already as a where were you moment and Kathy was saying she was in a pub in Dublin. She said it was the loudest cheer she's ever heard and she's been at that pub for other games including Ireland and it was still the loudest cheer she's ever heard. We have the picture on screen like where's look Where's the ball? I where's can't the ball? You can't see him in mean, the, the white of the England uh, the ball. fans in the Oh jerseys. it's just over the crossbar. Just, I see it though, yeah. uh, touching the crossbar and like, it goes miles over. We still Johnny Wilkinson. So yeah. no no. Uh, the pub I was in also went absolutely bloob mm. when he put it over. And I was delighted because I, had, uh, I was supposed to go for dinner at nine right and I was like this is an 84th minute penalty. It was like first of all Harry Kane's going to score this penalty like there's no doubt about that in my mind It's like I'm going to be on my phone during dinner watching extra time just like I was for the previous 24 hours Netherlands against Argentina which was like the greatest World Cup game ever um, and I was like oh, I'm going to miss it so I was so happy for many reasons that he put it over then I woke up Sunday morning and the most common WhatsApp video I was sent was Harry Kane with a video with Johnny Wilkinson from the 2018 Comic Relief and BBC I couldn't believe I that believe was four years it. ago I believe we have it here, here we, we go, go so uh, I'd say everyone's seen this lads have they by now because just like billions billions of views it is. so Kane's taking a penalty John Bishop no, the comedian's no, no, overseeing he's coaching in, in, in virtual yeah. is Johnny Wilkinson <laughs> let me and you. Harry Kane in uh, their respective sports they're using a football here take penalty. Wilkinson's saying no 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 Harry that's no, not how you do it Harry's just scored a penalty put in the goal Wilkinson steps up for his penalty puts it miles over the bar Harry Kane's like "But you put it way over it? and he was like yeah yeah that's you how you do it, it. By it. By that's how you do it. That's
2: you do it in my sport he's like
4: okay Harry's like, again oh, Okay okay I'll try that myself
2: That's how it's I a, won a World Cup With England okay. You talked over the, the good line there Colm Go ahead do it again Take two yes. That's what he
4: does there Harry
5: Kane yes.
2: Harry much better That's the one I That's
5: mean one. look It's good We love it We do love it Let's be honest the, the Monaghan pub I was in Was very sad and emotional As you can imagine At that moment um, A lot of sympathy For Harry Kane In the pub um, It was upsetting it was very upsetting to see him sad. Um, they, they missed it. They missed,
4: they missed what? They missed your line.
2: What was the line? That's how you win the World Cup. They didn't miss it. I think they did. They missed it when, when Johnny Wilkinson <laughs> said it. <laughs> That's how
5: you lose a World Cup. Um, look, they're in the amber because there are positive shoots here. Do you think it was in his head? Of course it was in his head. That uh, Johnny that, that, that that suit.
2: Man. Oh, no, sorry, that there, that there moment?
5: No, no, not at all. The brain
2: is very complex. It's a very, yeah, very know. complex organism. What was in his
5: head was, if I score this penalty, I'm England's leading goal scorer of all yeah,
4: time.
2: Yeah, that's another point. That That's a big, big thing. He was level in really in 53 goals. Didn't Lineker miss the penalty that would have made him? I'm fairly sure that Lineker missed the penalty that would have made him the outright To, to do, do it at a World Cup, Harry. Oh, to that's do it nice. at a World Cup. I would say more so
4: it's my club teammate and he's he's thinking, uh, Hugo's thinking I'm going to do the same thing here. And he by the looks of it went for the exact same thing. Second time around, he I mean, got too much on it.
2: Lurie, no, I don't think he went for the same thing.
4: It was, I think he was aiming for the same corner, Kane. But it's too, too, It was middle too left, the middle. I, th- I, think that's what he was. i no, was going to. No, it was. Right the, it was. Yeah, I think he was going left, left again. Yeah. I think he was going left, and he well, just put way too much on it. Well, then he completely dropped. <laughs> yeah, <he's> just screwed. <laughs> that's like, that's, like, that's no. what he was
1: trying to do. Uh, I think, I think it was.
5: I've heard it actually mentioned to me that um, Kane shouldn't have taken the second penalty. And I was like, that's a ridiculous notion. Apparently 83% of players score the second when they've, when they've hit the
2: first if you do get two penalties in a match. I was
4: never more convinced that someone was scoring a penalty. I was I was genuinely a little yeah. bit
2: shocked when it went over. I do think that, um, you know, Jamie Carragher, oh, this is great. We're doing, everything's going great. We're all amazing. Like, it feels a little bit like how, I remember after the, the Euros when we reached the last 16 and we were 1-0 up against the French. I remember thinking, oh, this is a bright new day for the Republic of Ireland. Look at that midfield trio. Just coming into the peak of their careers, James McCarthy. Uh, who else was there? Robbie and who, who? Who was there three? What? Who was there Who was their three? Um, McCarthy, Robbie Brady, Jeff Hendrick. Jeff Hendrick. Oh yeah, yeah. Just absolute peak of oh, yeah, 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 yeah. This is going to be four years of greatness from Ireland and England. Are like yeah, we're we're going to be great. We're just not today. England, they're going to be great. We can't be great today. They're
4: not. They are going to be great. They're they're great. England, are, they have such a good squad. They have uh, such yeah. a good squad Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah. All, the, all the great teams have only have great two years' squads. time Sir Jude's only 19 You think they're going to win The Euros in Germany? I don't Spare me I, I, I I, I never, I never the I'm never confident They're going to win anything But I'm just the saying the, That they have a great squad Well, then. then what's your point? That they have a great squad You're like Oh, that's it for them You're kind of intimating The fact that this is it, There's,
2: it? There is something wrong How are we only on Amber? It's five past eight There's something wrong if you can't get through these games where you're like you're the better team there's something wrong and and look maybe Tuchel is the person they're talking about taking the job although the Telegraph are like are we ready for a German or are we ready for a Northern Irishman with a no surrender brigade except a, a, I'm like what yeah. how is that even an issue <laughs> yeah well yeah
4: well, look I'm sure Daniel Harris will say more about it but apparently FA want Southgate okay to stay and yeah. Southgate seriously considering his future because he's had a tough last 18 months as he alluded to since the penalties against Italy, 4-0 Nadir at home to Hungary in Wolves when he was destroyed by the crowd. And he hasn't forgot that. He brought that up. He, he saved did. that. Yeah, My point
2: is that there's no guarantee that because you play well in a World Cup quarterfinal that all of a sudden of that, that you're going to somehow find that everybody else stops getting better at the same time. And you're the only team who progresses and therefore it's going to be relatively straightforward for you. It's not. That was it. There's absolutely no guarantee. came up against yeah. a French side, critically weakened, who played badly. And they still lost. That could great, be it. a great squad. And they got two they? penalties. That fr- could be. That could be it.
4: That could be the height of where they go. That's the my same point. Time, it it's is. Only, but it's only two years away. The Euros are only two years away. So it, a lot are. of their core players will get better with clubs in the next two years. Maybe. They should be better. Maybe, but there's no guarantees. But exactly. they should be. Exactly. I, my, my prediction so is that they're going to get they're better.
2: They're in the
4: red. You blew the chance to they're win the World amber. Cup. They, they should have been performed fairly well. I don't think there's much more they could do. Amber suggests you're
2: progressing towards green. They are uh, Jude Jude that's exactly my Zamba. point
4: is that they're progressing towards Green that's exactly my how did they do in the last World Cup the last World Cup semi final how did they
2: do in this World Cup
4: is, is that progress who did they, 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 they play who did they play who did they play who did they play in the 2018 World Cup who did they play it was a good of a dump truck who did they play they just played a French
2: side who are critically weakened the French side who've who looked the, the last, best team in the tournament the last team have they I would say they've looked the best team oh, in uh, the sorry, England were the best team in the tournament according to some of the stuff that I've read was that Carher as well
4: Probably it's your uh, narrative, as the fellow says. Because uh, look, we got to go on to the green because Sorry, Sam Matterface, we got we needed Linacre and we got Waddle.
2: Hey, I, 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 is that that bad? He's right. It was a bit harsh. Well, was it now? Right? You were laughing.
4: Let's go. Let's go. I let's was. go. We got to go to the every green.
2: Dublin, Ireland. Like yeah, it's, Clem, it's Waddle. We got
4: to go to the green. We got to go. Please, yeah,
5: we'll move on. Green, Croatia, and Morocco. Uh, will this be the final? Probably not. Could it be the final? who knows because they both played really well uh, Modric running the show for Croatia again yeah. population of 4 million we keep banging on about that but um, it needs to be mentioned because they are constantly constantly there thereabouts in these major tournaments um, and it's, it's perhaps the best thing we can say about Croatia is that we're not surprised that they're in a, quarterfin- that they're in a semi-final now uh, we wouldn't be surprised if they got to a final because they were there in 2018 of course um, uh, look we've, we've already t- touched on Croatia enough but Morocco that's what we need to talk about because what they're doing, first African nation to ever reach the World Cup semi-finals. Could they be the first African nation to beat the, make the World Cup final? Quite possibly. Um, France certainly won't, won't have it easy in that semi-final this week. Uh, but Portugal's starting brightly, you're getting chances, you're thinking, OK, this this Portuguese team are going to win this match. But uh, Sofian Amrabat, the man of the match for Morocco, I just want to give him a special mention because uh, he only touched the ball 32 times apparently in 90 minutes, but every time he touched the ball you could see Ali McCoist getting remarkably excited in, um, in stoppage time when he wins the ball and runs forward with it and leads from the front again. Uh, so so people like Amrabat just sum up what this Moroccan team is all about. They just don't concede that many chances. Now, Portugal had the odd chance. Gonzalo Ramos had the header that he should have done better with. Ronaldo had a half chance that Bono saved. Pepe. Uh, Pepe's header, well. Yeah, yeah of finished. course. So there was moments where you think Portugal could have scored there but... Uh, under Regregate they just don't concede goals yeah. they only conceded once is and
4: it that they? was their own goal their it own was goal the only Canada. own world tournament yeah. so uh, since he I took over well Gavin Komsky was at the game so we'll definitely talk to Gavin about it quick word on uh, Glenn
5: yeah Glenn going. also in the green and uh, deservedly so Malachi O'Rourke is a footballing guru lads um, architect of success it just follows him around everywhere he goes the loop Hard to believe, 2003 Ulster club champions, so it's, it's not his first time doing it. But every team he takes over, even T. Holland was his first management job in Monaghan in 2001, takes him to senior for the first ever time. Uh, so he's unbelievable. Uh, they only led for three and a half minutes of the semi-final last year, as Cairo O'Kane pointed out on Twitter. They were ahead for 63 minutes of the 60 played yesterday. Uh, the 112 to six win against Kilcoo, uh, They were brilliant. Conor McGuckian, man of the match, played remarkably well. Conor Glass in that midfield alongside Emmett Bradley. That's an inter-county... Uh, midfield, never mind anything else. And then there's the sledging. You heard about Conor Glass afterwards. but well, we have the clip? Conor Glass speaking to Ashley O'Reilly after the game, here's what he had to say. Talk to me about the intensity out there. I've covered a lot of games. This is probably one of the most intense games that I've covered from on the pitch to up on the stands to on the sidelines.
7: Yeah, um, that, that's Kulku's sort of that's just, that's the way they play and we had a match we had a match their intensity. Um, they They've been to three Ulster finals, they were all in champions last year, so it's that's a testament to those boys to come back year on year and stick at it. All those articles last week about the Brannigans talking about like, this is what they do, and this they're so focused, and you can see why, why they've reached this pinnacle. Um, but I guess we had that age, we had that heartbreak from last year, um, and that's what got us over the line today.
4: Yeah, very intense game, but a lot of respect out there, because you do respect what Kuku have done for the game and for Ulster football.
7: Uh, there was a lot of respect, but there's some respect that I don't have for some of the players like um but that's just that's just the way football is um like I'm not gonna say like what stays in the pitch, like stays in the pitch, like but it's it is what it is
4: what are you talking about maybe the
5: midfield battle that was one battle in particular that was a very tough one
7: uh, I'll say nothing about it all right it's like there's some sportsmanship you like like you can get on with, but then there's some i guess stuff you can't just forget like so that is what it is
2: yeah uh that was that was very interesting because you, you don't he was he was clearly human he was clearly livid yeah I mean he's holding <laughs> back there obviously there. needless to say uh, but only only just like he's there's something inside him that is like something really bad was said something bad happened there and he is very very annoyed about it because cause at the end of the game when it went full time him and a couple of others were still involved in something yeah. you know normally once the once the final whistle goes there's an immediate okay grand or whatever whatever's happened happened but there wasn't that stage. I did feel like when the pitch invasion happened, this could get a little bit tasty. Mm. And then the flares were like, "Are the flares masking anything?" Show us a bit more of those scenes. And then they're celebrating on the sideline. It's like oh, fair play to Malachi. It's amazing. Like incredible. What an yeah. incredible career he's putting together. But Connor Glass, he's a tough man, and something had pissed him off to the point where Ashing's like, "You know, it's a nice, it's a nice like. Oh yeah, of course we respect him. And no, 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 no. I'm I'm not giving you my respect after that." I don't respect that. I mean next year it's Sorry. Be tasty.
5: Hundred percent. It's created a rivalry that we've we've been looking for it probably in Ulster Club football again since the cross days. But they, the speech from the captain Conor Carville as well, Jar afterwards, like he referenced people saying they were mentally weak, they lacked leaders, they had no characters. These Len lads had a be in their bonnet. And they've read everything. Hundred percent. And the what?
2: Brannigans during the week doing all their interviews. He was like, Oh yeah, I mean obviously it showed us what it means to them, but there was a there was a sense of like none of our boys are going to be doing those AIB gigs yeah yeah let's just wait and see now if any of them and look I was I was, um, I was on to Connor Glass last week and I'm
5: sure he won't mind me saying he was keeping the head down he very much wasn't going to talk last week Maliki O'Rourke was talking to him last week he was very much keeping the head down they were like we'll talk to you after somebody else if we will exactly so uh, he left it to them uh, they were brilliant and, and like <laughs> I don't know Ender Gormley has to get a mention here for all the work he's done at this team like this Glen team were the best minor team in Ulster, the best 21s team as well. And they've finally kind of, like, look, they loved their football up in Mahara. Myself and Joe were at a roadshow up there during the year when Derry were on their uh, run towards the All-Ireland All semi-final. They were class and uh, they deserved it yesterday. The, the standard as well of club football with the split season is only going to get better and yesterday showed it. Um, I just, look, I, I said it a couple of weeks ago on the show, and I'm not saying I told you so, but I did say Glen would, would probably beat kilcoo in the Ulster Club final I you, do, are,
2: you are saying I told you so and you did also for, for you know this, this clip won't do 100,000 views but yeah. go on I did say and, and stand by it that Glenn
5: will go on and win, win the All Ireland this year um, and I said that two weeks ago mind you before this game happened uh, I think I think Glenn will have too much for my Colin it's a, it's a repeat by the way of 2004 when uh, Malachy took the loop from Derry against the Galway and Connacht champions Caltra both the uh, first time provincial uh, semi-finalists at that point so uh, go on to play Moy Cullen I think they live too much for Moy Cullen and then in the final I mean it's going to be Kilmock let's be honest with all respect to Cairns or and stick that on your dressing room wall if you want but I think the Kilmock Glen final could be
2: an all time classic uh, I just fancied Len to get over the line Alright 15 minutes past 8 this morning big call from our Ulster football correspondent and the Gillette Labs performance rankings that was your Gillette Labs performance rankings after the break Daniel Harris OTB With Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with Exfoliating Bar. Right, 18 minutes past eight. Daniel Harris joins us to uh, parse over what happened with England in the World Cup. Daniel, a nice easy question to start with. What did happen?
3: Uh, Well, I think ultimately they played a good team and they didn't take advantage of their moments. So um, you could, I mean, Harry Kane called it small details, but if we're being honest a small detail is not lumping a penalty over the bar with five minutes to go or whatever it was. That is a fairly significant detail. And similarly, Harry Maguire complained about the referee, but it was not the referee who lost Olivier Giroud at the near post before the winning goal was scored. And it felt like this tournament was a big step forward for England. I definitely thought that. But when it came to it, if you look at the period of the game that they dominated, they didn't really create very much. And actually the biggest chance in that period was the one that Olivier Giroux missed, the kind of sliding body that Pickford saved that he really should have scored. So I think there were improvements this time round, but again, they weren't quite good enough. Uh,
2: what I don't really know is what is the f- uh, what, what, what underpins the creation of chances. How are you going to win the game? Like, what is it that you do again and again and again? What are the good habits that you have in a match that creates chances? I don't see that from this england team
3: well i think that i mean france didn't really create too many chances either if you like, france had got Raphael Varane and dale pomecano playing at the back they're good players and then in front of that they've got rabio um who's also a player in really good form so you shouldn't necessarily expect to be tearing them apart and pummeling their goal because that's not something that france to allow you to do um I think what England did this time around was um, they replaced Mason Mount, who was who was kind of, in theory, the number 10, who's meant to do lots of the prompting around the box, with a different kind of player, with uh, Jude Bellingham. So the, and, J- and Jordan Henderson played in midfield. So physically, I think England were a stiffer proposition in midfield, but it meant that they were relying on the wide players to, to create opportunities rather than that man that was Mason Mount. And there is probably a different balance that they could find if they could find that player. Um, I think that they probably, once they've settled into that formation, will also find different ways of doing it. Because obviously, you can create loads of chances against Senegal. They've created loads of chances against Iran as well. But doing that against France in the quarterfinal of a World Cup is different and- and I don't think anyone's going to be creating chance after chance against that France team. And sometimes you also have to accept the fact that the opposition are good too.
2: Sure, but how are they trying to create chances? Even if they're not doing it, what are they actually trying to do to to give Harry Kane an opportunity to score from open play? What What are they trying to achieve?
3: Uh, I think they're trying to. Well, the, the way that they're structured is that they've got one inverted winger and one winger keeping the width. So the idea, I think, is for Foden to try and get around the sides and to try and stay nearer the touchline and have Luke Shaw overlapping with him and overlapping with him. And then Saka, um, who's playing as an inverted winger, the plan is for him to wander in field and start trying to look to beat men in that area. And that was pro- that looked England's likely a source of a goal in the, in the second half. Um, I think the plan is also that you want Jude Bellingham driving forward, making third man runs into the box to help Harry Kane. And that, I think, was one of the problems that I felt was the case while watching the second half was that they weren't getting enough men into the box when the ball was out wide. And when the opportunity, when it looked like there was an opportunity for the ball to be put into the box in a decent area, it often came in and it was only really Harry Kane surrounded by three or four defenders Felt like Bellingham probably could have done more to get into the box. Jo- Jordan Henderson probably could have done more to get into the box. And once you've got a presence there, you're in a much better position to win second balls, which they weren't before. So perhaps a little, a little bit more abandoned in that aspect.
5: You can touch on any number of decisions from Gad Southgate, I guess, Daniel, as to as to why this result didn't go England's way. Um, Marcus Rashford was England's top scorer in the tournament, and he played four minutes off the bench. Like, can you rationalise that?
3: Uh, yeah, I can. Uh, I thought that Rashford did do enough in theory to get himself into the team, but my my guess is that the first thing is that Southgate Southgate likes Saka and he's all to players that he likes, and I think he also quite likes the fact that Saka can play fullback as well, which means gives means he'll be able to cover the flank in a slightly different way. And I think that he likes Foden because Foden's also a significant goal threat, and he gives the team a balance with the left footer playing on the left. The other thing about it is that Rashford is a brilliant substitute. Uh, I can't remember the numbers, but his record as a sub, for Man United is something like 12, 12 goals as a sub to a yeah, sub. Not if he has four minutes, 20- Pardon me?
5: Not if he's, not if he only gets four minutes.
3: No, no, I, I felt like he, I felt like South Fersgate didn't use the subs as well as he could this time round. It felt like when England were on top, he could have, he could have expect he could have gone with Mount earlier than he did and tried to take, tried to go and win the game. Thought he went with Mount too late. Had no idea why he took off Saka and brought on Sterling, because Saka was playing really well. And also Sterling is the kind of player he might get you a goal, but he's unlikely he's not someone I think was likely to create you very much. And by the time he went for Rashford, it was too late. But I understand why Rashford is on the bench to begin with, because throwing someone like Marcus Rashford on against a defender who's already been chasing around for seventy minutes is quite a proposition. But as you say, he, he did leave Rashford off too late.
5: Did Hurricane Butler?
3: Bartlett... Uh yes. I don't like to say it because and I, when I say that Harry Kane bowled it, I feel like I'm suggesting that that's something that I wouldn't done, wouldn't have done that I wouldn't expect other people to do. Uh, but yeah, it felt to me like... I felt like he bottled one in the Euros against Denmark uh, where in the semi-finals of the Euros he got a penalty and he took a really safe kind of low side foot penalty and he got lucky that Casper Schmeichel, uh, Schmeichel shoved it out to him and he was able to score from the rebounds. Um, I thought this one, his body position wasn't quite right as he came in to take it. He was kind of crouching, and then his head goes back, and the ball goes over the bar. But when I say it, I think I think he bottled it. I mean, of course he, of course he was nervous. It was a penalty with five minutes to go in a in a, in a World Cup quarter final against France, and his team were behind. So yes, I do think he bottled it, but I don't say that particularly as criticism. Although it is also his job not to bottle it. It is understandable why he felt in that situation. I guess you don't have the safety in numbers that you do with the penalty shootout, where the goalkeeper might save you, one of your mates might save you. You either do it or you don't, and that is very difficult to handle, I'm sure.
2: Uh, it's interesting watching the various commentators talk in the aftermath of the game about what this defeat means. And I understand there's a process you have to work through the various stages. Uh, I do feel, though, that like this is going to end up being one of those great opportunities missed because, just bear with me on this, France are a very good team, 100%. And uh, Mbappe had some influence on the game, not a massive one, but uh, France are missing a massive amount of world-class players, top-quality players, essentially their first choice centre midfield and whether or not uh, you think Benzema improves the team he is the Ballon d'Or, current Ballon d'Or holder. And not many teams manage to go back-to-back at World Cups. So it's right there for this England team, as opposed to the whole... I've seen, I've seen the tweet go viral about the age profile of the team. The age profile doesn't matter, because you don't know what form they're going to be in in four years' time, or what the injury profile is going to be. The World Cup happens now, and this was the chance for this team. I don't know who the next manager is going to be. I don't know if, if Southgate's going to be there in four years. I do feel like this is a big, big, big opportunity miss for England.
3: A hundred percent. Massive opportunity missed and they know it. That's why you saw the desolation at the end, because they know this was a chance. And I don't think the France injured players make so much difference. I mean, Angolo Kante was injured, but Angolo Kante is almost always injured now. And he's not the player that he was two years ago because he's almost never there. So I don't think it's that so much. And as you say, like we've seen Benzema is a brilliant player, but maybe Giroud makes the team better. Who knows? I mean, he's scored and Mbappe's doing well, so that seems like a reasonable thing to to posit. But you're right to say that England had players in form were playing well. But when you play France, who are the defending champions, going for another World Cup in a World Cup quarterfinal, that is a 50-50 game. And, I mean, Southgate said it before the game, really. He said that they knew until that point that if they played well, they'd win. And they also knew that they could play well in this game and not win. And that was pretty much what happened. Um, so you're right to say that you don't know who's going to be in form, you don't know who's going to be fit for the Euros in two years' time, but it does feel that these players being fit and in form is more likely than these players being fit and out of form because they're young, so they're likely to be fit, and generally players are fit, not injured. And they're likely to be informed because these are high-level players who will spend most of their career in pretty decent nick. So although, as you say, this was a massive missed opportunity, I wouldn't say that it's an opportunity that's unlikely to come back again.
5: saw so a video this morning, Daniel, of um, uh, Mbappe trying to shake Jordan Henderson's hand before the match in the tunnel and Henderson uh, very much point blank ignoring him. Um, like, is there an argument, and then like France start the brighter of the two teams, like, is there an argument that England might have been almost too hyped up for the game, given that this is England, this is a World Cup final, putting a lot of pressure on themselves, maybe.
3: Uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't read too much into into that handshake, particularly. That different players like to approach games in different ways. Mm-hmm. Some players like to be dead focused, and I guess Jordan Henderson's one of them. And some are happy to be kiss, kissing and cuddling in the tunnel with the players that they're mates with. And uh, no, I, I mean I'm sure the England players were nervous, but I didn't watch it and think. The the game's got big on these, particularly. It's just France started well because France are are a good side. One And there's no reason to... If you hadn't have seen Jordan Henderson not shaking Mbappe's hand and France has started the better, you wouldn't necessarily have said, well, England are too focused or England taking it too seriously. You just would have expected that was one of the possibilities that could be the case. So, no, I I, I don't think England played like a team on whom the game got big. Uh,
5: Who do you think... Should slash would replace Southgate if he does end up leaving? Like, who are the <clears throat> the runners and riders in your view?
3: Uh, I mean, I had a look at the list just before, and there was a lot of names on it: Maurizio Pochettino, Thomas Tuchel, Wayne Rooney, Frank Lampard, Graham Potter. Um, I I I feel like I'm of the opinion that the England manager should be English, and that's not because I support England. They don't. It's not because I'm a little Englander. I'm not. It just feels a bit like that should those should be the rules of international football. I would agree. That-
2: yeah, like I mean, if I saw somebody saying the England manager needs to be concerned with uh, the quality of coaching around the country, and actually, I, I, it's weird, right? Because they shouldn't really, but I do see that they're a figurehead at the top of an organization that basically invented football, and so you know, has has it's not it's not. It's a very unusual job in world football, and maybe maybe that's the whole problem here. Is that there's a massive overreaction and correction from Capello who didn't care. Eventually, we get to where we are now, and we've got you know uh, the circuitous route to get here. And maybe it's wrong. Maybe Tuchel comes in and cares about nothing except winning, and falls out with all the players, and doesn't. And the players are all are kind of know slightly despised by the 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 fans, but then they win, and everybody's like, oh, that's that's how you do that. I don't know. I don't know.
0: It's
3: so weird. Yeah, it just feels like that you're trying to test which country is the best at this, and we're agreed that manager is the significant role. Then why would you not have the manager being from the same country? Why would that not be the rules? And I guess the, the only reason I think not is that you want the game to develop in countries that are less traditional football powers, and perhaps they need some outside knowledge. I don't, but. That's really the only reason I can think of for that to be the case, because otherwise it seems contrary to what international football is about, (laughs) that the the manager shouldn't be from the country. So I would, I mean, I think that, I I, I mean, as I said, I'm not an England fan, but if I was, I would probably want Southgate to stay, because I think that they took big step forwards during this tournament. I thought in the last World Cup, they got pretty lucky with the draw but they they just weren't they weren't as good a team but they got to the semi-finals because the draw worked well for them. Then in the Euros, I felt like they were unduly conservative in almost all the big games where they made hard work of beating Germany who they should have beaten more comfortably than that. They made really hard work of beating Denmark and then they went ahead against Italy and they sat back. This time round it felt like there was they, they were more, they were much closer to settling a way of playing that was working and that was sustainable. They had options on the bench. They had attackers in form. And it felt like until, until those subs that we talked about, it felt like South, Southgate was doing a pretty good job of husbanding his resources. And it felt like they were a much better team now than they were... Two years ago, and when you're thinking about whether a manager should be replaced, that's what personally I'm always looking for: is, is progress and hope. Do I think that that team is progressing, and do I think that the people that follow that team can ha- will will be hoping will have have hope that is not yet extinguished that this manager is the guy that's going to make it better? And I do think that Southgate is in the process of making it better, so I I would I would say that he should stay because. I think also that international football is a very different job from club football managing in those things where you've got much less time to do tactical work in international football. It's much more about picking the right team and getting them picking in the right, getting them playing in the right formation. Southgate knows these players really well. I think he's quite close to having that. So I think that him staying would probably be the right thing to do yeah, if he goes. Absolutely. I haven't got a clue who would come in and do this job better than he would. It's not to- because I don't think there are better managers around than him. Maybe Maurizio Pochettino would come in and do the job better. But I've explained why I don't think it should be him or Tuchel. And yeah. then you're looking at someone like Graham Potter or Ray Rooney or Frank Lampard. And I'm not sure we know anything about them, really. Like Frank Lampard is... I mean, he failed at Derby. He failed at Chelsea. And he's not doing particularly well at Everton either. Then you've got... Wayne Rooney would be a punt would be great for him to come in and do well but a total punt speaks about the game well the players will be motivated to play for him because he's Wayne Rooney but you need more than that that would
2: be box office Uh, one one counterpoint to all this um, obviously the FA have success of a non-English manager fresh in their minds from Serena Vigman with the women's team and maybe that's something that they're like okay we understand how this can work and it it doesn't somehow betray what is supposed to be good about the football project
5: at sorry the Republic of Ireland's greatest ever manager was English I don't think nationality comes into it necessarily. well I think
2: if you're England things are slightly different
5: but though maybe maybe you know But I mean, I just, the, available.
3: I just think it comes into the rules I mean I, I'd i love for them to go and get Emma Hayes from Chelsea I think she'd be good with these players I think she'd do a brilliant job I mean it would never happen but um, and I'm not saying that the England men's team should just be able to go and pluck the manager out of the, out of the best team in the England, England, England women in the uh, WSL but I think Emma Hayes would be someone that I would love to see have a go at doing this job
2: I know you have to go right but the one thing I would say about the point you're making earlier on about how this opportunity will come along for them again like the last time that Brazil won the World Cup was 2002 and we assume that these chances will keep coming for teams because of age profile or talent funnel or whatever but like it doesn't it just football teaches you that you get an opportunity at bat you get a 15 minute period in the game you have to crush the opposition in that 15 minute and they couldn't do it
3: I, I, I agree with all of that, but I wouldn't say that Brazil didn't have it hasn't the opportunity hasn't come around for them again. The opportunity came around for them this time, and and they botched it. The opportunity came around for them last time, and they happened to get hit by that Belgian team's sole good performance in knockout football, more or less. They had the opportunity, but it is in a in a in a, in a tournament. It is it's a very small window of opportunity because some because things can happen, and you don't have the opportunity to redeem it. It's not even like the Champions League where you get another leg. So they did have the opportunity, but bringing it home is difficult, which is why the last time the World Cup was retained was Brazil in 58 and 62. That is very hard to do. So I, I think I'm not saying that England will have, will win the next Euros, but England will be in with a serious chance of winning the next Euros and the World Cup after that. And probably the Euros after that as well, because the conveyor belt of players that they have coming through now is extremely significant and extremely serious. But taking that final step requires lots of things to fall into place and that may not happen.
2: Daniel, good stuff as ever. Thanks a million.
3: See you. bite.
2: It's uh, Daniel Harris giving us some thoughts there. Uh, if you've got views, and I know you do, 0879 180 180 is the WhatsApp number or you can leave a comment to the YouTube stream and a reminder, OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. There was a positive from England. There was a moment, I don't know if people saw the clip of the miss penalty. Straight
5: away, Kane's head is in his hands, he's in despair, and who runs over to him but the 19 year old Jude Bellingham to console him and say, Let's go, we still have time here to get a goal. Yeah. I like that was impressive. And even at the end, the cameras are trying to get to Kane, of course they are, and you have Pickford and Trippier pushing the cameras away and saying, Have a bit of respect.
2: Yeah, stop, stop.
5: I mean, stop, lads. Yeah, obviously the cameras want to get to Kane. Pickford being a
2: big lad, come on.
5: Yeah, giving oh, Jordan. It, giving it loads. I can see how you, you, you uh, want to look after your teammate at that moment. Yeah, but look, look,
2: you know, I just, uh, I'm just not sure. I just don't think that you can go. Oh, we made progress. Everything's getting better. We're getting better. We're go- it's going to happen. That's not how it works. It doesn't. No. It doesn't happen. This this could be Mayo. This yeah. is Mayo. They just scored the two own goals in the All Ireland final. We're definitely going to get there. We have to look how close we were. The greatest team of all time couldn't even beat us without oh scoring two own goals. We're definitely going to win at some point. That no, doesn't happen.
5: It, it reminds me of, uh, and I bring everything back to snooker, of course, but I was tr- remember chatting to Ronnie Sullivan off air uh, a few years ago with the Crucible about Karen Wilson, who was reasonably young at the time, and he was like, I was like, surely Karen has the talent to go on, and, like, he has the right to go on and win a, a, a world title at some point. He said, no one has a right to go and win a world title. Same with England. They, on paper, yes, they should win a major tournament trophy, but nobody has a right to. Brazil don't have a right to.
2: It's whoever shows up on the, on the given year and it takes four years to come around. So, Is there anybody important missing from England? In terms of injury in in this World Cup, like Ben White apparently had a fight. They, they said they played down reports that he had a yeah. fight with a member of the backroom team. Uh, Madison obviously got injured in the last game and, and was obviously completely pointless. Then bringing him after all the hoo-ha. would might, might have been interesting to see if he'd been fit, if he could have done anything. But like that what, was their full squad. It, it was like that's the full right. Squad. And and this is a World Cup where everybody is losing players who are key players who are going to be important for us. I,
5: I do think any criticism of Gareth Southgate though is unfair. Like he's been there six years, he's done brilliant things. I think with this Gareth
2: Southgate's team. A, a good manager, not a great manager, and I just think that like, is he not a great international manager? Well,
5: I mean, World Cup too. semi-final, World Cup quarter-final, Euros final, kick of a ball from winning the Euros against Italy two years ago. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. not bad. England hadn't been in a major final in so so You're long. He's saying
2: great, like great, like you know,
5: well, he's all-time just, great. After Alf Ramsey, he's the best England manager there's be- ever been yeah okay but did he does that not make him great I don't think so I think that you've got like a, a big broad definition of great if that's well the standards are high of course winning a major tournament is, is the bar that England have set because of Deschamps,
2: great international manager
5: you know yeah Yeah. for sure but like does Southgate not come under the level of great given how many so called great managers came before him Capello Sven Venables all these guys I don't think anybody thought Sven was great
2: no, no, but... I think... I don't know.
5: Maybe not. Maybe Sven is a bad example. But, I mean, Bobby Robson didn't get to a, a World Cup final.
2: Again, Bobby Robson, you know, not a great... Not one of the greats of the Like, a great character and lovely fella. Yeah. But, like... Uh, you know, know, we're talking... Great means... Cruyff. he's one of the great English managers. Zidane, ah, well, now you've changed it. Well, he's, he's
5: one of the great Garretts. He's a great international. Him and the laugh in the office. I think he'd struggle to have a, a
2: club, a club job after this. I think oh. he's he's suited to the international role. The Americans, the Americans are already talking about him as a potential. So, uh, right, it is eight thirty nine. Tune into the lunchtime wrap today, bringing you all the latest sports news. That's with thanks to Deliveroo. Check out the app for some great match day meal deals across the World Cup. Deliveroo food, we get it. Right, call is here, call. How are you? How are you, lads? How's it going? We talked about Glenn's win in the performance rankings. What did you make of it? Highly impressive. Mm. Highly
6: impressive. I think, Shane, you called this last week that they were going to be... Thanks. thanks you were for very nice, there of there. nice of you to bring
2: that up. He wasn't going to... Oh, wait, he already did. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, keep
6: saying it. Yeah, yeah. Some game, wasn't it? It was uh, really high standard. Um, yeah, I mean, Glenn have, have been a remarkable story, really, that they struggled to win in Derry for so long, and then they've come along and dominated now, and... Kilcoo had their stint as All-Ireland champions but it's gone now and you can't really argue with it yesterday I thought Glen fully deserving of the win they got the late gold but the, the icing on the cake um, but it's going to be fascinating to see how they progress now into the All-Ireland stages and we have to say I mean, Maliki O'Rourke and you know all about Maliki O'Rourke but I, I, I think Maliki O'Rourke is one of the top managers one of the great, greatest GA managers of all time and um, sorry
5: let me just let me just point this out. Hang on, I'm sorry, are you st- are you still in your Gareth okay, yeah, Southgate? You was mean this? Oh, no, I genuinely, I think he's in the top, <clears throat> the top five GA managers there's ever, there's ever been. Really? Ever? yeah, ever.
2: Right, I'm telling you. So okay, I, you see, I'll, I'll ex- you, let me you, explain. You, you, okay, well, I will. Right. But you you do lose credibility when you say Gareth Southgate's great and you come along. So just to, so for context here, Gareth Southgate no longer great. You've changed your mind. But in in this instance, go on. Oh, right, malik Rourke, his first job in management, T Holland, man club,
5: uh, very small parish, 2001, he takes them over, brings them to senior. Senior grade for the first ever time, right? He moves on then. Uh, he, he busy. He's, of course, he, every team's after him then at that point. The loop. He gets the loop job up in Derry. The 68 years, they'd never won a Derry Senior Championship. He wins it. Goes on. Wins Ulster. Um, Eric Leclerc job. Wins a Senior Championship with Tyrone. That was the next job. Cavan Gales in 2007. He's only in charge for a short time because his home county from Anacombe calling. First ever Ulster final in 26 years. Replay against Armagh. Fermanagh have never won, to this day, an Ulster Senior Football Championship title and he came closest as Fermanagh manager. Um Monaghan job, 2013, his first year in charge, wins Division 3, wins Ulster for the first time in 25 years, his second year in charge, wins Division 2, gets to an Ulster final, his third year in charge, stays in Division 1, wins Ulster and for the remainder of his tenure, keeps Monaghan in Division 1. Like... He's, a, he's, an, he's an absolute guru in, in, in Monaghan and, and sorry, Glenn had never won a Derry Senior Championship Takes them over, wins it Wins it again this year Wins Ulster for the first time And I think they're going to go on and win an All-Ireland Club title I've said it already I think they beat Mike Cullen in the semi And I think that final against Kilmacud If it is Kilmacud uh, Is going to be an absolute classic Malachi O'Rourke is without a question Just look at his record, look at his CV Everywhere he goes, he touches gold turns teams into, into winners. He's a serial winner. What's he going to be doing during the summer? Well, the rumour was that
2: Donegal and Meath were after him in the, uh, during the summer and he didn't want to if you're any job. If you're, I mean, okay, so you've convinced me here, right? But if you're one of the other uh, managers who are trying to knock Kerry and Dublin off their perch, mm-hmm. you're like, look, no commitment. Just just come to a few training sessions. You, know, yeah. you, just, you, don't, you don't have to marry us. <laughs> just have just, a look. Exactly. Just come down. See if you like the vibe. Yeah, <laughs> maybe he goes out in the high if he
5: went the Ireland with, with Glenn this year then it's right but,
2: but i'm not talking about like full time you know like completely pressure free you come and back room job exactly yeah like and then obviously take your time and do whatever it is you want cuz maybe he sticks around with Glenn for next year to see possibly and I don't know. Like got he's, he's got the sorry the strength and conditioning as well of, of Glenn. You could see they weren't going to run out of steam.
5: Mm. Ryan Porter deserves a lot of credit. He follows Maliki around every job he gets. He was with Monaghan for that entire time as well. The N C guy, is he? He's, he's unbelievable. He's coaches the team. Like he's just incredible. Um, and that that should shouldn't go unnoticed. But what he's done to that Glen team, like they're powerful at the weekend. Like mm. Glass and
6: Bradley in the middle are just unstoppable. Like yeah. the sledging was an interesting one. Yeah, it was a very interesting. I'm sure you've spoken about Ashling's interview with Connor Glass mm. after that's, uh on social media at the minute, but there was obviously a lot of tension between the two teams. Glass had not it. calmed down when
2: he was talking to her. He yeah, was, he was like they just won. There's an outpouring of emotion, but he was still angry about something. He was. So they must have been relatively serious.
6: Yeah, um, very interesting interview, uh, and. Before he spoke to Ashley, and I know there was loads of people coming up to him just for autographs and little kids and stuff. And football and Derry seems to be on a real high mm-hmm. uh, right now, and it's definitely the intercounty stuff has transferred to the club scene, um, and they certainly have a swagger about them now. Someone say five or six Derry clubs have won the, won the Ulster in the last twenty years or something, maybe. Yeah, they've a really good, they've a really good uh, club championship. Yeah. really good club championship, and um, if Rory Gallagher can keep that going now at uh, county level, you know they, they could be back in the upper echelons for a long time Yeah, the, the one thing I'd say about
5: watching the game at the weekend and look this is hardly new news there was a black card at one point for Kilku, I think it was Paul Devlin sent off the black card uh, look we've spoken about this a number of times during that 10 minutes I think the ball was maybe in play for three Right, and like the Kilku boys kept going yeah, down yeah, yeah. And there needs to be uh, whether it's for the entire game or for just during black cards but there needs to be a, the clock needs to be stopped during those 10 minutes for the black cards for, for every foul now maybe you do it for the entire game regardless you just
6: have 20 minutes of injury time that's at the end. I was going to say do like the World Cup Although, no but then the, the black cards is, yeah. You see then, yeah that's true but the, the, every it's team during that time period. Every, every team has, has copped on it's, to it's, try and kill it's time it's terrible
5: yeah. to watch because you know as soon as a black card happens you're like this next 10 minutes is going to be putrid because the the team with black card are of course going to go down in their one knee so stop the clock either during that 10 minutes or for the entire game just stop the clock every time there's a break and if the player goes down injured whether he's injured or not, I'd have my suspicions in that 10 minutes whether those Kilku players were really injured, but you just something needs to happen in that aspect of the game. Look, it was still a great game regardless.
2: Have Kilku gone from like being everybody's favourite team, great underdog story, to now pariahs in the space of like... That's when you
6: win. That's what happens when minutes. you win. <laughs> uh, they, they've been brilliant though, haven't they? And the, the, the quality of the game yesterday was class. Like The start of it particularly was, was ferocious. Mm straight away you're like this is
5: unbelievable yeah.
6: this, is, this is going to be the game that everyone
2: build it up to so be. just for a lot of people will just see the scoreline and go it seems fairly one sided but it wasn't at all no they got that late goal mm. for, in it, at a time uh, Glenn so they were three points up it
6: was very close um, very little between the teams all the way through and 8 wides to 3 Kilku
5: had 8 wides Glenn at 3 yeah. probably the shooting accuracy helped as well like if Kylkoo had taken some of those chances who missed the penalty? who oh, was not missed the penalty? Um, I can't remember who, who missed the penalty for Kulku. It was uh, missed the penalty? yeah but, like, I mean, there were chances there, do you know? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was just disappointing for them. But Kilku, all of a sudden, as you say, they're a small parish, but they're probably the villains now. Like, they go from being the team that were the underdogs to All-Ireland Champions last year.
2: Um, I just kind of got so angry afterwards. Fuming. Yeah. And he wasn't the only one, you know? So obviously something was going on.
6: Yeah, I wonder, yeah, they played each other last year as well so obviously something maybe lingered on did it
5: yeah I I mean, I, like, I'm sure the sledging in Ulster Club football is, is as bad as anywhere it probably is what's, like, your, what's your experience of well, it well there's stories of lads like, uh, st- like saying horrific things to people but also like, you'd be getting girlfriends mobile numbers of, of fellas who they know that's them, the old one that's the their own course yeah. but like I, I don't know what was said to Conor Glass clearly something that stuck in his head Um you could almost read between the lines in what he was saying but maybe that's what it takes sometimes and and as he said sometimes you can't leave it all on the pitch Um, he was quite at pains to say that what a great competition the Ulster Club is Ah, what a
6: great competition so good what (laughs) else is going on Uh, Plenty going on. Uh, Good weekend for Irish Athletics. Yesterday they won five medals at the European Cross Country Championships in Turin. In the men's under-20 race, Nick Griggs won silver. Dean Casey took bronze. And in the team event at under-20 level, uh, Ireland took silver. The women's team then won bronze as well. And the men's under-23 team also finished in third. Katie McCabe was on the score sheet for Arsenal in the Women's Super League yesterday. They were 4-1 winners over Aston Villa to move up to second in the table. Chelsea lead the way following their win over Reading by three goals to two. Manchester City and Manchester United played out a one old draw and West Ham had a 2-0 win uh, over Tottenham in the Champions Cup as you'll be uh, chatting to... Alan, about the Munster head coach, Graeme Roundtree believes his side had the chances to beat Toulouse yesterday. They lost by 18 points to 13 at Thomond Park. Ulster suffered a 39-0 defeat to Sale. And Dan McFarlane, the Ulster coach, refusing to blame their travel difficulties for that hefty loss due to cancelled flights. Ulster only arrived yesterday before that match on the morning of the game. Uh, in Salford. Uh, in hockey, the Irish women's team face a must-win match at the Nations Cup later this morning. They take on Italy from 9.45. They need to win to maintain their hopes of reaching the knockout stage after a 2-0 uh, first round loss to Spain yesterday. And Ken Doherty, Jared Green and Mark Allen all in action at the English Open snooker today.
2: Is the English Open important?
6: Uh, it's, it's a ranking
5: event, but it's not. It's not massive. Well, I'm, just think- I'm already thinking about the World Championships. But you've got the snooker starting this week. Jerry uh, which I know you're 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 mad excited about Thursday I think is the first they have the PDC World Championship so Christmas will start in earnest fantastic with the, with the darts
2: yeah it's great isn't it Lorcan says uh, many down clubs happy Kilku got beat I'd say I mean look you never want Shelbyville to do well when you're from Springfield that's fair <laughs> enough like you just don't yeah, so I, d- yeah, I don't that's true. S- you know
6: that's uh,
5: I had uh, this uh, had this conversation with someone at the pub and they laughed me off would Kilku beat down I mean are no, we
6: going there again Shane are we going there again down are fairly Will they win the Taliesin
5: Cup? <laughs> well, i go there. But like, if if Kilku have all their Kilku players and Down don't, don't get the Kilku players, it'd be a good game. Yeah. Might do, maybe Down still win. It's, it's another kind of side. I'm not going to step in it again. <laughs> I'm not going to go there. Yeah, if, if uh, Kilken God would win the Talton, then what would Len do?
2: <laughs> somebody who's uh, signed in as Jerry Adams this morning says, uh, come on, the South Derry lads. Uh, Glasses spot on with the Kilku ones. Hateful what way they act on the pitch, says Patrick Campbell. And then somebody else says... Glass is a bit fragile. Hey, it's Miguel. It's like a, that's Miguel. That's the you get it. You see what it's saying. And Danny Mac says, "Small parish, big mouths." But then he's got a smiling face emoji, so he gets away with it. I think we're yeah. not saying that. We're not saying that. That's uh,
5: <laughs> Danny Mac. You want to see? You do want to see a bit of um, a bit of niggling games like that. Like sledging, uh, sledging is grand once it reaches a certain level, and then you can't just you just can't overstep that mark. You know, I think everyone knows what the mark is. You just don't say don't get too personal with players
2: mic everything up yeah 100% mic everything up let's hear what they were saying you can't mic the players really why not like, Why, not? I mean, why you not? well you can leak what was said Let's we'll start with Mike and the refs yeah and, uh, and oh look we, we heard what the story was so I don't know I think that like if you're willing to say something you should be willing to say it mm. no uh, maybe not to your opposition number like you're just marking him and you probably whisper something to him. And I mean, if you're whispering something darkly, but if then if it comes out afterwards what you were saying what you were saying, you're going to stand over it. Yeah, that's true, probably yes, not. Yes, that is who I am. Yeah. Oh, that, I'm not that type of player. It turns out you are. But I, I think I'm a fairly
5: um, laid-back type of person. But if I'm, if I'm in a football pitch or a soccer pitch, you know, sometimes you get carried away. You maybe don't say things that you wouldn't stand by, but uh, you're, probably, you're, 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 a, you're a more aggressive version of yourself On a sporting pitch than you are in real life. I think that's okay as long as you don't overstep the mark. Sounds like the Cuckoo Lads maybe overstepped a a mark potentially.
2: Yeah, well, if they all come out and say, oh, sorry, we shouldn't have done that. But, like, I don't think if, if, um, not those specifically, but like, do you think when people do overstep the mark, they're like, oh, I shouldn't have done that? Or they're like, yeah, I'll do it again in the morning. That's the win at all costs mentality, which has poisoned all of sport. Mm. Where you can say hateful, horrific things to people and go, I was in the name of victory. I was representing my parish. I had to do it. Yeah,
5: it's what it takes to win. I mean, you, look, I was watching the All Ireland Ladies Club final before it in Kilkerran, Clomburn. By the way, last year, winning the All Ireland for the first time, winning it again, beating Dunamine at the weekend. But you're watching some of the, the aggressive matchups in that game as well, and you're thinking, well, things are being said in every game. Like and and maybe sometimes it, it it's okay, but yeah. Glenn clearly had the newspaper, the fancy dance up on the wall. I mean, because seeing the cool lads out talking during the week. I mean, they it. it. It's a uh, that was old school. Oh, and the speech as well. Um, now, uh, Kieran McFall's name was brought up as well, and uh, we know he was um, involved in an incident in Boston over the summer, and he wasn't playing for for uh, for Glen yesterday. Um, so he's the,
2: been he's been accused
5: of assault. Yeah, over in Boston where he was during the summer um, and, there, and He's standing uh, trial for it, it. Hasn't been home it's been Ankle tag uh, G- uh, GPS ankle tag the whole lot um, Serious internal injuries for, for some incident an assault that happened in Boston um, Played a game for Donegal Boston a few days after this le- uh, incident was, was, was said to have occurred um, So yeah, referenced by Malachi Rourke and by, by um, Connor Carver the then captain after the match as well So that's uh, another thing to note.
2: Uh, right, we're getting grief for not mentioning Michael Conlon, the big win at um, the SEC Arena, first round stoppage. His first first round stoppage, I think, as a professional at the weekend. Um, he's, he's really coming back from the defeat to Wood earlier on in the year at the moment. And so I think it's a long way back at this stage, but he's going to make it. They're like Obviously, he's a big name, he's got name recognition. Um, I, I do think he probably needs to have a big win before he gets to fight again in America so I don't know what do you, what do you want to say like we can we can talk about it. we can not talk about it whatever 87 uh, 918 is the WhatsApp number or you can continue to abuse us in the WhatsApp comments this morning <laughs> um, share your best edging don't do that we'll have to delete the comments <laughs> usually that happens anyway in the YouTube
5: yeah. we, we get sledged so it's fine
2: right a reminder the only place thanks million Carl thanks uh, a reminder the only place to listen back to Monday Night Rugby Wednesday Night Rugby and Brian O'Driscoll in full is on the OTB Rugby podcast feed you can subscribe now on the OTB app while we're on rugby time to say good morning to Alan Quinlan Alan good morning to you how are you
0: morning lads very good thanks
2: Tom and a bit cold and a bit um a bit miserable by the end last night
0: yeah it was people couldn't uh couldn't probably see the play um uh, the second half with the fog and, and the icy conditions, so it was um, it was difficult. At one stage, Anton Dupont, I think, on fifty three minutes, asked the referee about uh, the danger of, of not being able to see the ball and see the players. Um, referee said he was fine; he could still see the touch the touch flags, the f- four corner flags. But um, yeah, it was. Um, it was really, really cold and foggy and it probably played a little bit of a part in it being a, a bit of a stop-start, uh, slow tempo to the game in the second half in particular.
2: We were talking about this earlier on, about the context of the quality of the performance and the opposition and you have to take all that into account. Yeah. In the aftermath of the game, the dust has settled. What's your take on on where Munster are at the moment?
0: Um. It's it's a strange one because it it, it was flat and I think Toulouse managed to to take the sting out of the crowd and particularly in that second half take, you know, the sting out of Munster. I think they started really well. The first 20-25 minutes were were, were very good. They held on to the ball a lot. Um, They were trying to attack, bury their game and that was certainly... uh, very, very pleasing to see the way they, they came out and tried to play. Um, when you lose by a Jerry, against a, an incredibly powerful side, it uh, was 10 of these guys won a Grand Slam with France, so they have a lot of experience, a lot of quality, a lot of power. Um, I think it's a bit frustrating for Munster because that second half, they probably just made some mistakes and errors, and a lot of it was... A fair bit of it was down to pressure from Toulouse and their physicality, but I think when they look back, they'll be a little bit disappointed with some parts and some mistakes they made. Um, but where Munster are at, I think it was—it's you'd have to be upbeat because it's very hard to be critical of Munster given the depth and the quality of the opposition compared to themselves and say, well, that's not good enough and they should, should have won that game and they did X, Y, and Z wrong. So um, it's the start of, of of a lot of change, and that's been spoken about a lot since the start of the season. And <clears throat> they put themselves in a position, and were, we're kind of going for it at the end. Albeit, you know, they had to go a long way down the field to try and get the score to win the game. So um, I think where they're at at the moment is is for some players and and for fa- monster fans and stuff. It's it's. That's the level that's required, and you know I don't think anyone going into the game would have thought monster, you know even with europe um can can potentially win europe that's that's not a reality at the moment, so um they could have easily got got a win but um struggled against that power, and they've got to get more depth in the squad and that's that's, so that's a that's, known fact
2: that's the that's the key bit here like um do you feel like the coaching ticket is? Uh, progressing and getting the best out of this group of players and that the main issue is that they need more players as opposed to, in the past, we would have been concerned about the coaching tickets not having the ambition to try and, and create a game plan that ultimately will be successful.
0: Yeah, for sure. I think even if you go back to the game in May under the old coaching tickets, the quarterfinal and the Aviva, I think Munster's attack was... Was uh, they were a lot more ambitious than than in, we normally would see. So, um, but but now in particular, I think it'd be very unfair to be critical yesterday as to the way Munster played, in a sense that you know they weren't trying to slow the game down. Toulouse actually kicked the ball thirty six times in the game, and that tells you you know France do that similarly as well with Dupont and Intimac. Munster kicked the ball twenty two times that's a fairly low number. So, you know, they tried to run back Mike Haley, Calvin Ashe, and Daly a lot when the ball was kicked down to him. Traditionally, we would have seen them just thumping the ball back up the field or kicking it up in the air. Now, a couple of times they had to do that. But I think there's a a little bit more freedom in the way they're trying to play. There was a lot of movement and little... Kind of evasion in 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 the attack. A um, couple of times it hit up midfield. They try and come back down the blind side with set moves and strike plays and stuff like that. And sometimes it broke down because Toulouse actually really cut out Munster's time and space in the ball. Joey Carberry was was under immense pressure when he was getting the ball. Craig Casey when he was on the field. Paddy Patterson when he was on. So. Um, they were shrewd in what they were doing and they tried to nullify Monster. And obviously when you don't have an X factor player, who's just going to run out over people or do something magical, um, their collective was very good. I thought Monster and, and what they were trying to do and their shape. So that's encouraging. Um, you get more players in the mix and you, you increase your depth and, and, and look one of the areas and the very obvious area is the power up front. You know, w- emmanuel Ma- miafu the second row he's 145 kilos he's six foot nine he broke up a lot of monster's mauls. like in that start of that second half they had a couple of opportunities and you know they're holding him up um uh so there's 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 incredible power There, richie arnold he's 125 or 30 kilos as well the second row monster were missing three second rows yesterday you know, Thomas O'Hearn, R.G. Snyman has been out for a long time. So when you play a side like Toulouse, who had six forwards on the bench um, and the impact they had, just look at their front row coming off the bench. There's very few teams can do that across Europe. And the top five or six that you would pick before last week that potentially could win the tournament can do that. But there's a a backlog of teams behind it who just can't. So... um, you know, it's upbeat and it's pleasing that um, they tried to play. Um, a little bit frustrating that they weren't able to, able to win the match.
5: Yeah, it does seem strange when because like a number of years ago. If Munster lost a home game like this, it, it'd be reading the Riot Act. But it wasn't so long ago on the show we were reading Munster's obituary because things did not look too good. But you know, even if you look at the games before the, the game of the weekend, three wins, some decent performances, things are possibly looking up. There's positive shoots to take.
0: Yeah, and I think that's the reason. I think Shane. Um, reality is, you know, with the squad, monster have, and um, you know, we had this chat in the last couple of weeks, uh, particularly around the Edinburgh fixture. Previously, should should players be rested and you know held back for Toulouse? The same team has probably played for three weeks in the, on, on the bounce now, and uh, <laughs> Europe, in reality, is is. The, the, the league position is more of a priority now than Europe. And that was the case before yesterday's game. But Graham Rountree's selection was as strong as he possibly could yesterday. So, you know, Munster would never disrespect the competition, pick a weakened team. I'm sure they, I'm nearly I'm sure they wouldn't. Um, but um, the reason there's positives is because people can see that they're, they're trying to play better. Um, you can't physically take on a team like Toulouse up front and, And think you're going to overpower them. Traditionally, Munster had, you know, a lot of strength and depth right across the board. So um, there's there's younger players here, and there's a lot of change, and there's certain areas that the depth chart is not good enough, and they've got to try and increase and improve that. And Graham Roundtree has the next couple of years. So that's why there's a bit of patience there. What what you know, if Munster were humiliated yesterday, it'd be a big worry and a concern. But I actually thought. You know their effort level, their commitment. They could have been a lot shrewder in, in certain things, and um, that they did for sure. And they came up with some mistakes in that second half. But overall, the, I don't think they're getting a free pass here to say. You know, I think they'll criticize. There'll be certain, as I said, certain things that that should have been a little bit better. And um, but overall, I think they, you know, they they tried to attack, and I think that's why what people could see from yesterday.
2: Um, someone who was humiliated were Ulster uh, I, I, like may, maybe the rugby world expected something similar in terms of the outcome for this but it felt pretty shocking it felt pretty shocking particularly I I even saw the last 20 minutes so by that stage the game was, was, was done but um, there was no cohesion in that final bit even to like or no sense of the team coming together and saying right this is really bad but we need to show something here so that later on in the season we'll at least have these 20 minutes to go it was up against we were up against it and we showed something instead they just completely fell apart so um, it's, it's kind of shocking
0: um, that was probably the most surprising thing because even when they were 20 points down you think they're going to react here and, and um, of course Sale may go on and score again but you know you get some points on the board and it just never happened Leinster and Ulster had obviously travel, travel problems at the weekends. Um, Ulster looked like a team that, um, never got off the plane at all. Um, they were to take off on Saturday, um, get over to Manchester, have, have a run out, have food, relax in the hotel, get all their business done, rest up. And obviously their plane was cancelled and then they, they end up traveling Sunday morning. Now, one o'clock games there. And, uh, for me, are always, um, a bit of a scramble. You're up early trying to have that pre-match meal and it's, it's early. It's, it's an early time in the day to, to get the body up and running. I, I don't, I don't know if the, any rugby players would like the, the kickoff time of one o'clock, but actually having to get out to the airport, um, really early Sunday morning and travel over. Um, I know Dan McFarland saying, look, it's not an excuse, but it obviously had an effect on them because they were, they were dead in their feet. Um, they looked like they were shell-shocked then with the, the start at Sale had. They never reacted. And they're a better team than that. You know, Ulster are a better team than that. But psychologically is where, had times in the last number of years, where we've asked questions about, about Ulster and that, that hard edge and that ability to find a performance or find a little bit of grit and determination. Um, so, it was surprising. I think it caught everyone on the hop yesterday. Um, and maybe the week before against Leinster in, 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 in the RDS has had an effect. That, um, uh, you know, that psychological blow in that second-half performance and and loss to Leinster. But right across the board, it was a good Ulster side that was picked. Um, they were really dreadful. And they've got to pick themselves up for La Rochelle now at, on Saturday, which... It's a tough task in one sense, but, but it's easy to, to to get yourself up after such a bad performance. Um, and credit to Sale. They were very abrasive and strong and aggressive and and that's what you get um, from them. But big worries for Ulster, I think physically they were dominated right across the board in every facet of the game.
5: And like I know, Quinny, they were missing some some big players, Henderson Cooney and, and Balakun not involved, but like, uh, has too much been made of the the travel disruption? I know. <clears throat> like it's not it's not ideal when you're even traveling in two different groups. I think some of them went to Birmingham Airport and some to Liverpool. Uh, far from ideal, but at the same time, it's a professional team that ha- they have to be ready to maybe cope with little little uh, bumps in the road like that.
0: Yeah, Shane. Look, um, if Ulster went there and lost the game and or, or won the game, it, you know, people are saying, "Well, this is not an issue." Hmm. It has to be. There's no way that you can put that kind of a performance down to this Ulster team. They are better than that. Um, and I just know myself, I would, like, that would, you know, be really, really stressful and, and unsettling for a team. You know, you think of one o'clock kickoff. So they're out at the airport at seven or half, seven in the morning. I know, Those guys it, are probably up It's at only four, Manchester though. o'clock in the morning. Like, it's not, it's not I like know. they had to go to South Africa, I, I know, I know, but I'm just saying, Jer. one o'clock kickoffs, this is my own opinion, one o'clock kickoffs anyway, even if you're in a hotel, you're up at half eight, eight, half eight, trying to have pre-match meals and stuff like that. Getting the right fuels in, getting the right food, all that kind of stuff didn't happen with Ulster, I'd say. Um, they're probably out at the airport at five o'clock in the morning, players trying to get organized. So, okay. Um, so- I, I, look, they're, what I'm saying is they're better than that. We get a result 39-0, that's... that's pretty shocking um so it has to have had an effect should they have been better absolutely are they a better team than that yes does it ask question marks about their mentality and not being able to generate a little bit of a chip on the shoulder with that stuff um that's the problem i'm saying so we're saying there is problems but it had an effect yeah and they've got to learn and and be okay. able to deal with adversity better.
2: Well we'll see. We'll see what the response is like against La Rochelle, who obviously had an amazing win at the weekend and think they are cooking with gas at the moment. So uh it it is a big challenge. But if if there's a second result like that in Europe, then that's a massive letdown from where we were last year. But let's let's put a pin on that one and we'll we'll accept that the, the travel was an issue and if they can respond next week, we'll take it from there. We we should talk about um Leinster and uh they showed Stuart Lancaster what uh, a difficult job he's going to have next season when he takes over racing because, notwithstanding their travel problems, they were sensational.
0: Yeah, it was it was probably one of um, one of the best performances I've seen and that I can remember out of Leinster. I know they won't get too carried away and say that. Um, you know, some people would say, "Well, look, racing were really poor," and um, but Leinster were just. It was an unbelievable performance, the the tempo, the pace. And one of the big things that sticks out for me here is, is, you know, obviously, Leinster have a lot of quality skills. They're well coached, but they're so fit. Um, and the vast majority of these play, these players play for Ireland. And it's one of the reasons why Ireland have been really good in the last 18 months to two years is because of the tempo, the energy, um, not just with the ball, but you know, when you're, 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 you know, rassing, attacking against Leinster. And they have some big, strong X-factor players, quality. But it's sometimes, um, you know, you, you the collective desire from from Leinster to defend and harass and, and hound rassing out of it right across the board, not a minute's piece, had they, you know, around the breakdown, the pressure from the, the defensive players on the inside, that hunting, desire to get there and make tackles and, and then you know they have that finesse to play to play their game and score brilliant tries and um, you know talking, to score six you're talking six Gary, tries
2: Gary Ringrose right uh, incredible with the ball in hand but there was a, a, a block kick where he must have run I don't know 70-80 metres at full pace to get there and it's a full length diving goalkeeper-esque and that's the type of thing that just sends a jolt of electricity through his teammates. He wasn't even man of the match, but like there was five or six players who were absolutely sensational. And then obviously Caelan Doris man of the match because he's Caelan Doris and he's just playing at that level that he's at at the moment. So um, hard not to get uh, excited slash carried away if you're a Leinster fan. I know you're well, saying that they're not going to get carried away, but
0: no, they won't. But they've just um, they've given everyone a reminder how good they are and and the type of game they can play. And you know what, the work rate honesty and that fitness level. It makes a huge difference, honestly. Believe me, you know, when when you have so many guys who are so fit, um, and they can just put in so much effort and they have that attitude around how hard they work. That culture is created by the coaches and obviously driven by the players. Yeah. Um so right across the board they're just on song and you know I know they had their travel issues, but um, they got there the night before, at least. Yeah, it, um, it does like, help to, per, to, when- to bring up to bring up that kind of a performance. And one thing, Jerry, I will say about this Lancer side: you're now looking at five, six, seven guys in this team, and that might be some of them might be mightn't be happy with me saying this, but because they might think they're involved, should be should be included. There's five or six guys in this Lancer team now that you're you're putting a world class bracket beside them, Van der Fleer, Doris Dan Sheehan Furlong Ring Rose um, James Lowe getting there? It's, James Lowe is right up there He's he's his performances with um, you know the power we'll so when really you can pick him. a team so we're, we're yeah, talking about a contrast. <laughs> yeah of course <laughs> Yeah, but we, he's, he's the obvious one Furlong and, and Sexton and are, are not there but you're now picking five six more, more guys so you're thinking if there was a world team of the year at the moment the form they're showing and the quality they're showing across Europe here and the quality they showed in New we're, Zealand
2: we're not going to clip this though we're not going to tell the rest of the rugby world that we feel this way this is just our little secret no, but, we're not telling anybody yeah, because they're going to say we away
0: yeah yeah but on the back of New Zealand look it's the, and and you talk about the contrast the depth and other teams yeah. this is why they're so good because you know Caelan Doris's performance on Saturday and, and he's just a wonderful player he's a top top-class international player who's constantly on it, on it all the time. So, you know, that's the luxury Leinster have. They have the quality and we're, they have that depth and, um, we're out and of time. The, it was reflected in their performance.
2: We're out of time, Quinny, but I know um, weekends like this, um, sometimes there can be whispers. Is there any, any whispers on Leinster coaching? Anything else that you're hearing over the weekend?
0: As regards someone replacing Stuart Lancaster, yeah. is it? Yeah. Um, no, I just... Um, you, you were probably the one that was breaking the story about Scott Robertson Oh, no, I wasn't. I was just, just mm-hmm. repeating what I heard. You picked it up somewhere. Yeah, you yeah. picked it up somewhere. Well, for any coach, it's obviously an attractive proposition when you see a performance like that to align yourself with a team like that and the players at the moment. So um, I'm not hearing, um, okay. you know, who's who's going to come in at the moment. All right.
2: Queenie, good stuff. Thanks a million.
0: Cheers, lad. Thanks.
2: More from Madeline, of course. On Friday, it is thirteen minutes past nine. OTBAM is brought to you live with Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Here's what's on OTB Sports Radio for you across the day. At one o'clock, it's OTB Gold with Column Gooch Cooper. Splunk uh, at three o'clock. Classic game club is Celtic versus Rangers from the year two thousand. And OTB Gold is Mick O'Connell at eighty from six. Follow us across all our social channels and subscribe to the OTB Podcast Network for all the best in latest sports content. After this short break. We're going to talk with Gavin Comiskey live on the line from the World Cup in Qatar.
4: OTB
1: AM.
2: With Gillette. Get
1: into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with Exfoliating Bar. Right,
2: we're going to try and um, make sense of the World Cup quarterfinal weekend. uh, And we're going to join Gavin Comiskey in Qatar. Gavin, good morning to you. How are you? All right, chair. How's it going? Um, That was ridiculous really the level of uh, what we saw at the weekend we've been talking the whole way through like you want some shocks but you don't want too many shocks because weak teams end up getting there but Morocco aren't a weak team they're here totally on merit No,
1: no, no I've covered all their games I've gone very um, I've gone a bit North African throughout my World Cup experience and uh, before the tournament I spoke to Kev Kilban I think about this in one of the early columns he did as well if you break it down They've got like two or three before the tournament now, they had two or three Champions League quality players. And the rest were high level. I think it's only two or three in in the starting eleven that play football in Morocco. Sorry, Bono plays in Saudi Arabia. Um but if you go through the, the team that no, he's Sevilla actually, sorry. But th- there was a high level, the Liga, Premier League, from really good players and like it was always on for them. And then they have in their coach, well he uh is just He's just another level of tactical noose. He said a very clever thing. He was basically like, I've been this good a coach for 10 years, but nobody in Europe will hire an Arab. And so he, he got his spoke in on that one. And he, he, he's right, to be honest. Um, it's not a surprise if you've been watching them. And I actually have been watching them for a couple of months. Um, and if you look like Amrabat, though, has probably been the revelation of the tournament. Either him or Unani, they've just... They're like They've just taken apart every midfield, and they like what they did to Spain. How they held on, how they picked them apart, and dominated De Bruyne and Belgium. Like they really did. So yeah, it's a shock if you're coming in late to them, but um, if you've been keeping an eye on them even before, and um, uh, while he came in as the coach in August, they were they'd gone they'd won twenty of twenty six matches under the Bosnian manager before that, and that was without Z- Zidich coming back. He's come back and he's been a revelation. He's like uh, a brilliant kind of showman player who also slips into the system and is an auxiliary right back. So um, it's the Arab world now firmly believes, and the African world firmly believes they can win the entire World Cup. Like it's it's becoming, it's not just a whisper anymore. It's really becoming something special.
2: And presumably, you're hearing this manifest itself in the stadium and around. There's been. You know, we, we'll obviously talk about everything else and, and the, the rest of the corruption that led us to the point where we're at the World Cup in Qatar. But um, presumably they're the uh, adopted home team at this point.
1: Yeah, um, there's Moroccans everywhere in the world. Morocco, the, the parallels to Irish football in the early 90s are, are enormous, except they've 40 million people and they've about 10 million expats. I'm talking first generation expats around the world. So they're in the Middle East in the entire region I couldn't believe it after the Spain game when I was walking through the souk on the way home. I got off early. I got off the the metro early just to walk through it all, and it was it was Moroccan families. So like they're from the region. They were driving home the next morning. You know they came and did a like it it wasn't uh, people. Obviously thousands have come from Morocco, but all over the Middle East, there's Moroccans of all different classes and uh, educated, uneducated, all over here working because they can slip and slide into it. And it, it's evident throughout the world that the support for them is enormous. I think the only Arab country or only African country that hasn't really got in behind them is Algeria, <laughs> the neighbors. But like, just try and imagine in like ninety no, four. imagine in 94 if Ireland had a team that was not at the end of its kind of cycle. There wasn't a bunch of old guys that was at their absolute peak um, and were in America. What, just imagine how the support would generate. To be Irish Americans coming out, they're coming out of all angles. You know, imagine we got to a, that semi over there. That's what's happening now. And it's the support is everyone is behind them. The Qataris, you, see, you can see the Qataris at games because they're all they're in all white and they come in late to every match. And you can see them because they don't celebrate, they don't move, and there's patches of white in all the red around all these stadiums, which are being very badly run. It's really hard to get into stadiums. It's like it was half empty twenty minutes twenty minutes into the game, the quarterfinal. It was just disgraceful stuff. But you can see the the, the local Qataris because the Moroccans are just bouncing. I mean, I'm talking like children. Uh, grown men, grannies—they're all this up and down, singing, dancing, and the Qataris is just sitting there, like as is their tradition, not to show too much emotion in public. And so you can see all of that, but they're there—they're coming out in massive numbers where they haven't come out in massive numbers since Qatar's like nightmare opening match. But they're—they were—they're fa- fascinated with Argentina, they're fascinated with Brazil, and they're really, really taken. Like the Arab world is completely locked into this. I know a lot of Moroccans around the world and who have no interest in football, and they're really tuned in now. It's—it's it's pretty special stuff.
2: It is uh, getting mentioned everywhere that, like, they're, obviously, first African team, first Arab team. Like, it's coming up in the NFL commentaries last night where, oh, what about yeah. that story about Morocco? It's kind of, it is this kind of uh, crossover that's pulling the whole world in. Um So, like, at this stage, we obviously hope that they've managed to continue with the level of performance. But, like, there's no sign of them falling over.
1: Yeah, the only thing I will note, though, is the team are falling apart a little bit. Um, the West Ham centre-back, he's injured, Naid uh, Aguard, um, who's been injured a lot for West Ham, so you haven't seen him. He's absolutely world-class. And the captain, the other centre-back, Roman Sice, he got carried off now with a torn hamstring. So, the kind of... The, now, Amrabat is the heart of the team. Um, I was actually sitting watching, we watched it again last night, and I was sitting beside Kev Kilban, and he was like... It was just moments in the play. He was like, forget about the game. Just watch him now. He just plugs holes. It's very Roy Keenish, and I think Liverpool are looking at him to sign him. He just and I know the manager um, went last summer. He went for a random weekend over to over to Florence, went and spent some time in the Fiorentina training camp to tell him that he's a Champions League midfielder. To tell him if he does a couple of A, B, and C, he'll be either in the Premier League or at a Barcelona or at something in the next couple of months, and he'll be the absolute je- He'll be the absolute key man in the Moroccan team. And he said all of this after the Croatia game, and he's just gotten better and better and better. He's probably in the media, the the post-match and the pre-match Moroccan media is brilliant. If you can link into it or see it or get it, it's it's unbelievable stuff because uh, the coach is brilliant. He's so clever and so smart. But also the fact that the journalists... Do they They kind of lose the run of themselves a little bit where some of them are getting up going, I have no question, I just want to tell you that you are, I love you and uh, w- the whole country is behind you. And there's a lot of this like uh, crying as as they ask a question at the end, they go, is there, they, they give a big speech and they go, is there any injury updates or anything else going on? But it's, um, yeah, every, everything around them is, same as Argentina now, everything around them is a massive event because their people are here. Their people are here in the tens of thousands. And how we have France-Morocco. Well, the most interesting thing is Hakimi against Mbappé, two best friends, two Paris-Saint-Germain players, which also means the Qataris have skid in the game, so they're fascinated by it. But Albaid Stadium is out in the middle of the desert. Um, it's going to be really difficult to get. A lot of Moroccans are trying to come to games and just kind of get in without tickets. They've been accused of it. I think a lot of them are coming with tickets and they're coming in such vast numbers. There's no metro out there. It's already been a major problem at the Altumno Stadium outside. There was a couple of near, near, really scary moments about near crushes. And I'd be really worried about the France. There won't be that many French people here. There's not that many European, except for the English, who are now gone. Um, but the Albaid Stadium is extremely difficult to get to. Um, they have no experience of how to run major tournaments. And it could be a really worry for how they can act. Because there's, there's, there is tens and tens of thousands of Moroccans who are trying to get tickets on the black market, even though the prices are off the charts. But getting to that stadium is going to be a real test of how this tournament's legacy will be remembered.
5: We've even seen images, Gavin, like I saw on the TV at half-time, I think, of the match. Like fans being shown, <clears throat> excuse me, coming in like, you know, 20, 25 minutes into the match. Now, thankfully, they, they managed to get in in time to see the Moroccan gold, but that just is fairly bonkers that that can happen at the World Cup.
1: My interpretation of it is, and from talking to people before the, the match and outside and afterwards and Moroccans and Moroccan families and, um, who came is there was a, there's such a fear here that they don't have a repeat of the Wembley or the Stade de France experience for the Euros final or the Champions League final that when they, and a lot of the police are, are not from here. They've, they've been brought in uh, and they've been trained. Like uh, all the staffs and all the people here have been trained within an inch of their lives about how to do things. So caution is comes first. So when there's a swell of a crowd They've closed the gates and they've stopped people and then they tried to trickle them in because they, they literally just don't know how to run uh, World Cups because it's an extremely difficult thing to do. And if you don't have experience of massive major events in your country, like Dublin would never ha- be able to do this with eight stadiums. We, could, we can barely do Crow Park and the Aviva Stadium on the same day. I think I think it's only happened a couple of times and it's not a good idea, you know. So... When they when they come in, they stop them, and they so the people are getting really desperate there. At like a, you can't get an Uber anywhere near. it. There was no metro to the to the stadium that Morocco played most of their games in, so you have to walk eight kilometers south from the city. I really wish I was talking about football here, by the way. But you're sitting in at a World Cup quarterfinal, going, "Where is due to twenty thousand people?" Knowing that there's a hundred thousand Moroccans up the road, you know. And uh, even still, the, the atmosphere of Moroccan and Argentinian games is something is just incredible. It's something that will stay with me to the end of my days. I never thought I could see bigger than some of the experiences I've had in Club Park and other Ireland football matches over the years. But what I've seen with the Argentinian fans in Lucille and Moroccans just everywhere in the city is it's really made. it saved the World Cup. It's made it. It's kind of overshadowed all the shameful stuff that's been done by FIFA and the Supreme Committee it's um, it also it means that you're you know you're at the you're you're at the, the, the a World Cup you know what I mean you really do feel like it's I mean, the games are it's unbelievably brilliant but um, yeah and there's there's a whole Irish story element when you look at the Moroccans if you're here you just see the, the granular thing and what what the FAI could have done in the 90s and what we didn't do like the way the Moroccans have gone in and scouted in Europe second third generation players Zidic is a great one like He's, uh, he's their Zidane. He's the Zidane that Algeria should have had, if you know what I mean. Um, like he was Dutch. He got in the Dutch squad when he was about 22, 23. And then somebody, a scout or an agent or somebody from Morocco got to him and said, you've grown up in Holland your entire life, but they've always treated you like a Moroccan. So why would you let the Dutch now treat you like a Dutch player? Because you're about to sign for Ajax. And so he flipped and became and went to Morocco. And Van Basten was his, one of his early coaches, said he was stupid. And he turned around. And his quote in response to Van Basten was: "Yes, uh, Marco Van Basten was a great player, but not a very good manager."
2: <laughs> I mean, it is an incredible story, and I think uh, they're definitely winning friends and influencing people for sure. Um, we should talk about the the Argentina game. Um, yeah, like the whole thing is. Uh, I mean, it's a. It, there will be documentaries made about the game itself. Like the. Um, we, we talk about the football in a moment, but this is the game that Grant Wall falls ill at. Yeah. Um,
1: I don't think we we all kind of came together. A lot of English and Irish journalists and a bunch of Canadians were there last night. We kind of came together to decompress the whole experience because, um, like, it's something. For, I have to say, that it is for two reasons. It's 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 an occasion and an event in that massive World Cup final stadium in the brand new city in Lucille, Argentina. Netherlands is something that none of us will ever forget, simply because Grant died in front of a good few uh, Irish reporters' eyes. I was a couple of rows down. Um, and the whole exp- the whole the traumatic experience of what was happening as the penalty shootout was starting so that meant all of us were on like in this and like poor us but like we we're in this incredible torturous period of rewrites because you'd written everything we, and like for example the Irish Times was ho- literally holding the Saturday newspaper for me to file my front page of the sports 900 words and I'd written. This brilliant night under words about Messi's uh, assist and, and the whole process of creating that goal and everything, and that was all gone out the window when Weggers came on. we was saying his name, lies the Burnley Basicsis, uh striker, uh, the seven foot tall guy comes on and scores two goals and did goal in the ninety-nine minute of injury time to send us into extra time, which just meant everyone was rewriting. Like it was a, you've heard all this before. There was a collective groan across the whole press box when. It went 2-2 and then a massive fight broke out, which I don't think you've seen on TV. Massive fight broke out between the Dutch and the uh, Argentinian players after the game. Not the one uh, that was started by kicking into the dugout, another one. So we were watching this and trying to rewrite, tearing up your pieces. And then the grand stuff happened just at the end of extra time where he took ill and there was a 20 minute period of of attempted resuscitation for him. And uh yeah, it was um it was incredibly difficult to um retain focus because you, you you literally had no choice because again, as I said, the newspaper was waiting for my copy. But there was people coming down who were moved down, the seats were sitting beside me, who were in a terrible and awful state because of what they'd just witnessed. And then we we just had to we just had to keep working and get on with it. And I remember being at the press conference afterwards. there was a couple of people who I know who were a bit shook and uh, uh me and another guy, we just left, we didn't wait for Messi. <laughs> Imagine like being at a World Cup quarter final and going it doesn't really matter, you know, Uh, we just went and got the train home. And then the, the, the flip side of that is you're on this, you're on the Metro back into Doha and there's thousands of Argentinians who are just deliriously happy, who have no knowledge about Grant Grant Wall and his brilliant American soccer journalist. And I actually, I, I, I was actually going to say to him, I didn't want to be kind of fanboy, but I'd seen him a good few times in the press box. I don't know him. A lot of the other lads did. But I remember that in 2002, he wrote the the chosen one, the LeBron piece for Sports Illustrated that was the, when LeBron James was 17 years old and uh, they got to him. They knew he was going to be like they were already saying he's going to be better than Kobe Bryant. He could be the next Michael Jordan. And Grant was the guy who did the first big interview. And they put a seventeen-year-old high school kid who hadn't even been got into the draft yet on the cover of Sports Illustrated. And uh, that was Grant, that was one of Grant Wall's great great pieces of work. And it's from twenty years ago. So um, yeah, it was that whole that whole thing. And it's, um, I, my, my thoughts go out like to his family and a lot of his friends were here and a lot of people who worked with him who. Um, Football, probably one of the greatest games of football you'll ever see. Or I don't know what, what your reception was or what you saw at home, but it was one of the most in, in, insane, beautiful events that I've ever been at. And um, for a lot of people, it's uh, only going to be remembered for one thing, unfortunately.
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, in, incredible, difficult circumstances. And as you say, condolences to his family. It's just a f- horrific situation for them. And, um, you know, hopefully uh, they find some peace Um the, the football obviously I mean uh, it being football continues um, has there been fallout from the rows and I mean Martinez basically saying this whole thing is corrupt like uh, his post-match interview is one of the most remarkable winning interviews I've ever seen from anybody in any sport ever where the interviewer keeps prompting him to go, Yeah, but you just it, it was great. And he's like, Yeah, but the referee, what was that all about? So um, is there a potential balance yeah. or do they want to just like not ban anybody because it's a World Cup semi-final? What happens?
1: Referee lost control. I think that was I hope I presume that was apparent on the TV. He also lost the Brazilian referee in France completely lost control. It was it looked completely out of his depth. and... Um, the, uh, I, I, you know, the, the now famous picture of uh, the, the Argentinian lads going right up into Dutch faces as they run towards uh, uh, the goal after winning. There's a backstory to that picture that needs to be told. Yeah, well they totally because, deserve this. Yeah, no, like Messi said it afterwards. Like, have you ever seen Messi as angry as he was afterwards? He went, that thing where he puts his hands up to his ears, that was because of Louis van Gaal uh, treated Raquel May terribly in the one year he was at Barcelona and didn't want him. And so that was Raquel celebration. So he was going doing that to Louis van Gaal. There was like how Virgil van Dijk didn't get sent off for that body check. Again, I presume you saw that. Um, that was in play. He didn't even get booked. Um, there was a lot of stuff. But yeah, the Dutch had been completely needling the Argentinians. And like the Argentinians obviously don't need an excuse, you know. And once they won the penalty shootout, yeah, they stuck it to them. But it looks, there's a perception out there and it's all over social media. That the Argentinians are a disgrace and they're, they're bad sportsmen and all that. Everyone was at it. It was uh, it was chaos. And the referees not let show red cards. I'm, I don't know with certainty, obviously, but my opinion is that the referees just not let show red cards at this tournament. And so... It should have been. There should have been. It, it could have been controlled and calmed down by a couple of cards. Also, Messi's blessed that he didn't get a second yellow, um, which would have been a nightmare. So there's something in that. But uh, I think it being FIFA and it being a World Cup semi-final, I think they'll just creep past us and let's just get to the semis. And again, no, no, no red cards in the semis. Let's just get get ourselves into the final. A lot of people I'd say who work in FIFA just want to get the hell out of here as well because um, it's the best football tournament. It's probably the best World Cup ever. It's certainly the best World Cup I can never remember. 86, I was only a kid so but 86 had such an impact on a lot of people my age and I presume you as well Jared. but uh, this is just it's been phenomenal but off the pitch, if you get off the beaten track and you, you don't stick on the, the FIFA buses and you don't go out to their their big media centre that has beautiful food and beautiful. It's, do you know what the media centre's like here? It's in the big Qatar National Library. It's like as if Google took over all the media houses in Ireland. And it, it's, like a, it's basically like one big giant Google office where you could sleep there, you can do your laundry there, there's a medical centre, there's everything. But if you leave that and Get a few Ubers, talk to the Ubers, which are very cheap, obviously, for, because of the petrol. Uh, and if you walk to stadiums, if you go to the worker estates where they live, I'm, I'm writing a piece that's probably going to be published on Monday after the tournament. Just about everything else I've seen outside of the tournament. And it's it's vast and, uh, for all the magnificence we're watching and the brilliance. And there's so many things we haven't even talked about here uh, like the Argentinian fans just going to war with the FIFA the blaring of the music and these fake bands at halftime and, everything. and the Argentinian fans who are here in their droves and they found ways of, of affording it and they, they've taken over a little town which I have to go down and see it's kind of like looks like the old Ballymun flats and they're all in there and they're in there every day partying it's, oh, it's an old workers village so there's some, there's just so many other things happening off the pitch and the treatment of hotel staff, the treatment of FIFA workers who might get a day off working 10, 12 hour days, made stand up, no breaks for so much hotel staff. Like we think we're working hard and then you look at them and like we get to go home, we're well paid, we get to go home for Christmas, we're gonna get breaks after this. They just go pour into another job. Like it's the, the cruelty, Miguel Delaney wrote a piece in The Independent, The London Independent, which I send people towards where he compared it to what it must have been like for Europeans visiting the deep south of America in the eighteen sixties. And he's not exaggerating. Um, it's 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 horrific some of the things you see. Like if you don't have a plan, if you work here, you live here, you can make good money, you don't pay income tax, you can it, it's a gateway, there is a huge thing, it's a gateway to get a visa if you're African to America, to another place. But um, if you don't have a plan and you get here, or if you come here as a, in a refugee status, I met an Afghanistani taxi man last night. There's no way out. There's no escape, um, and it's like yeah, it, it's so strange the mood, because you're, you're the joy of all the football we're experiencing. But then on the days off, you see the grimness of Doha and the treatment of people who are, they're not even called humans; they're called workers all the time, and yeah, it's it's stuff that uh, it'll stay with me forever. Unfortunately.
2: I look forward to reading that piece um, hopefully you'll be home by the time it's published
1: <laughs> yeah I think I'm home I think I fly out like at 2am like after the work of final so um, we'll see well,
2: listen great stuff Gav stay safe thanks a for joining us cheers uh, I'm Comiskey from the Irish Times there um, trying to capture that broad sweep of all the stuff that happened over the weekend Jesus the split emotions like you know when you talk about the,
5: the grimness of some of the things as Gav says in guitar the absolute despair of what happened to Grant Wall and you compare it to the football it's like it's just I think a lot of the journalists over there I'm sure
2: just don't even know what to think after that weekend no um, and the football keeps coming uh, relentlessly like it always does and uh, we're looking forward to two of the biggest games of all time that is the the split emotions that FIFA are uh, really hoping that everybody has because that way they get to take the money and put the football out and we're like oh the World Cup was uh, on balance you'd say pretty good right that's, that's how it all works 9.36 this morning uh, thanks very much for uh, being with us today OTB AM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day we're back tomorrow with Gaz Pal Kevin Kilman live from Qatar Stephen Rocher will be on to talk about the new era of male football and plenty more besides OTB AM with Gillette get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs razor with exfoliating
1: bar